Hello and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most trim work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are here to talk about Cutting Class 6.2, 6.3 and Bonus Materials Implement Text. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. We'll get to that later though. Let's begin with Cutting Class 6.2. We are in Avery's head. Um and uh, we follow off almost exactly from where we we follow on exactly from where we left off in six point one. Uh, Every is waking up first from their nap, and uh, everyone else is already asleep. So to kill the time, she decides to just check her socials to uh, feel less lonely. Yeah, I mean it's 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 so Avery that it's like she wakes up first, and so that means she's alone. Um. <laughs> And yeah, you know, luckily she's got social media because we all know that that's a good cure for for loneliness is checking social media. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I'm assuming she's learned some pretty bad habits for coping when she feels alone because checking social media is not a good one. I mean, it's better than her previous strategy of just never talking to anyone and entering a downward spiral. Seeing how long she could go without talking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah clearly that's a worse coping strategy oh but honestly social media is not too different from that yeah they're, they're more similar than you might think yeah i yeah you know what yeah i, I did take that back I, this isn't that different um i don't know <laughs> I, I did find this moment very relatable i've always been like a morning person and so like whenever like i did like sleepovers and stuff as a kid i was always up mm. at like 6 a.m even if we stayed up till two and i was always like Mm. it was just weird being at like a friend's house and being the only one awake for about three hours yeah weird vibe um i felt anyway um yes so yeah uh, you said it yesterday oh not yesterday last week there's clearly no way they were going to make this afternoon class um they've slept in uh and so every just kind of chills out and lets the gang sleep yeah i I mean i i see this as a good like it, it Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I can't help but they needed the sleep, and I mean, even this, it's like a two-hour nap. You know, it, it'll just get them by till they can go to bed at a regular time again. But yeah, it's not a, uh, it's not enough. It's not, <laughs> you know, everything's all proper now. Yeah. Um. But but I, I also want to talk about uh, like so yeah, as you said, Avery checks her socials, and um, mm. it, it's all framed through this sort of lens of she's basically going through her family. And talking about how they are interacting through social media, because well, mm. I feel like the big theme of of Pale so far has been this this idea of like how do we cooperate with others, how do we work together, how do we treat those who aren't in our tribe, blah blah blah. And and Avery kind of goes through that with her family. Like Sheridan has just stopped talking to people. Um, mm. Rowan is just kind of uselessly coasting through life, um, which we already sort of knew. Um, yeah. But I really wanted to latch onto the Declan part because basically this feels like, you know, stuff we've talked about a lot, like this idea that, you know, the Declans label anyone interacting with, with girls or people outside the, the Declans as like toxic. Um, and they're basically exiled from the group uh, for mm. like talking to someone else. And I mean, you know, you see that sort of bullshit tribal thinking, whatever, everywhere. Um, mm. But I think it really relates to, uh, Avery then starts to spiral about like you know her parents and what might they think about um like her coming out or whatever and and she relates it to like she doesn't get why they do what they do like they sometimes might have shitty friends or or whatever and if those people say something her parents will just sort of stick to that Mm. 
And I feel like that relates to exactly. I feel like that is just exactly what Declan is going through, right? Like I feel like her parents are the <laughs> are these people who like put their trust in the system or authority, and and it's like if if all their friends are like, oh, homosexuality is bad, they yeah. just sort of be like, oh yes, this they'll is, just follow along with that. Yeah, yeah, this is the way. Like they're the sort of people who haven't been explicitly hurt by the system in that way, so they'll just tend to trust it. I guess. Yeah, I, I guess that's just kind of we're just describing privilege, right? Like the concept of they, the fact that it hasn't impacted them in the past means they don't have experiences that have shaped their worldview to, to, to be more, you know, incorporating of other people's experiences, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's that sort of, it's that one angle through which privilege can turn you into someone who doesn't support uh, people who are less privileged like, or actively fights, yeah. fights against them because you'll yeah. sort of be like, well, isn't it just easier if we just all don't do X, Y, Z? And it's like, well, not really. And also it's maybe not a choice, but like, you know, like th- this is sort yeah, of... Yeah, exactly. You're asking people to give up an aspect of themselves. Yeah. And, and like, why? Like, it's that, it's that, it's that sort of thinks, think where it's like, oh, if it's just the way things are. It's just easier if we don't change it, uh, I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so... Yeah, the deck. The Declan stuff kind of jumped out to me as well in the sense of like, you're right, that Avery is kind of going through and and using her family as a lens to reflect on this idea of like connecting to people and belonging, right? I'm going back to year 12 edges English now, but um, <laughs> that's, a deep, that's a deep, deep, I think just New South Wales specific. Yep. Um, and only, only for anyway. four years worth of people. That's only going to work yeah, for people ages. People our age range and grew up in New South Wales. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so my essay on belonging, um, yeah, like the stuff with Declan really stood out to me because it's it it's her. Uh, the interesting thing about it is she does this thing where she reaches out to one of Declan's friends, kind of in air quotes, ex friends maybe, um, who he seems to have kind of uh, participated in a cutting of ties with. Mm. Um, and reaches out and, and and is doing this kind of it's 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 like this sororal instinct where she's like um like taking kind of helping to guide Declan towards slightly being better than he is, which is interesting because it, she hasn't really shown that much care for Declan in the past, <laughs> but I guess she's just kind of worried about the loss of her family connections, and this is leading her to kind of reassess how what she can do to kind of nourish them, I guess. It, you're right it does feel like a big step because like do you remember when we first met rowan in like the record store with lucy and verona and we gave yeah. him shit because he just like he didn't actually want to do anything to help avery yes um, yes and this feels like avery not being that she's like because you're right like she doesn't really have much fondness fondness for declan like he's a little shit yeah we haven't <laughs> seen any any like loving interaction between them right no i mean they're like they're brother and sister so there's like presumably that sort of underlying like connection um but like they don't have like a particularly close sibling relationship um yeah we haven't seen anything that's more than just like the baseline of affection that you have to have some for somebody after you've you know literally lived with them for 10 years or whatever yeah so the fact that like you know avery will stand up like this you're right like i do feel that that's like important and a big and particularly a big step mm. for, for her as someone who's yeah usually quite non-confrontational to a to a fault yeah yeah definitely um I, and 
sorry, just just one other thing as well. So I, I touched on briefly how like Avery does sort of spiral from thinking about like Declan and stuff to like her parents and and her coming out, and then she also starts to mix in. Oh, but what if I come out as a? What, what if they find out about the practice? And she has mm. this moment where she's like, "Am I worried about them finding out that I'm gay or finding out about the practice?" And it was just like she basically just blurs the metaphor for us herself. Yes. Like, <laughs> um, you know, as as Pact and Pale are, are sort of want to do. Uh, it's just it's just mm-hmm. sort of a funny little moment where the story's like, just in case you, you aren't getting what's happening here, like that this is what's happening. Like she's, you know, yeah, <laughs> yes, it's a good uh, it's a good blending of the metaphor. Um, I, I'm really hoping. So yeah, uh, every. I, oh, sorry, I just want to say I am really hoping Sheridan mm. steps up. It gets back to us soon. I really want to comes through. Yeah. Sheridan's going to deliver. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think I think she will. I think I'm optimistic about it. Yeah, same. Um, so yeah, Avery's kind of in her social media spiral, but luckily, Ape- uh, luckily Snowdrop uh, distracts her from it through her powers as an apex scavenger. <laughs> I mean, this moment is just fucking hilarious. Um, and, like, it makes me bring up, you know, in this Avery chapter, like, I can't help but focus so much on, like, you know, Avery constantly worrying about being lonely. And, like, she has this moment where she notices, like, Lucy and, and Verona are sleeping, like, foreheads against each other or something. And she's like, oh, you know, they're mm-hmm. best friends and, and I'm just sort of the third. Um but that really just feels like a bit of an insecurity in her head when you sort of look at the scene as a whole, because it's like, first of all, she has Snowdrop who, you know, like licks her worries away. Um, yeah. And like all four of them have this great banter, like the moment where Snowdrop turns human and sort of like, as she grows, pushes Lucy and Verona away from each other is just like hilarious. Um, like I, these four are all just so incredibly tight as friends that it's just like, Avery, this is all in your head. And I know mm. that doesn't like fix it. Like we all have, you know, hang ups like this, but I-, I guess that gives me hope that, you know, she can move past it as an insecurity. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's she's getting these kind of intrusive thoughts, but I, I think it's great. Like Snowdrop can kind of be a way for her to objectively see Lucy and Verona having a good relationship with someone outside of the pair of them. And obviously because there's the, all that baggage with Snowdrop basically being a stand-in for Avery, almost literally, um, she can kind of use that to infer that, yes, I have a good relationship with them too. Like it's a very, in the way that, that good science fiction or fantasy often does, it's a way of like quantifying abstractly, oh, sorry, quantifying tangibly like an abstract concept, right? The yep. question Avery has of can Lucy and Verona have a third friend who is as good friends with them as they are with each other? Snowdrop is literally a representation of Avery in another body, and she can objectively say, yes, yes, they can. Yeah, I really like that. Um, and I, yeah, I, I hope we go somewhere like that just because, yeah, like they're, yeah, like they're, all, they're all so cool with each other, this chapter, um, and I'm just like, it, it just, it's so upsetting to read Avery have all these little moments of, oh, I'm, you know, the loner or whatever it's like but you're not though third wheel yeah yeah exactly um yeah (laughs) yeah and she's starting to like feels like she's starting to get that i hope so um so here's this other bit that i wanted to pull out where they're talking about glamour and how it's you know more likely to break uh when when you focus on its shortcomings etc and avery uh just goes ugh, ugh. 
Avery gave her arms a shake, skin crawling a bit. And, and, and um, so, yeah, we know Avery has put glamour literally on her arms. Her skin is crawling just a bit. Is that just a figure of speech, Elliot? Or do you think it's something more? Do you think it's maybe foreshadowing that Avery is going to turn into an insect? <laughs> um, I mean, that wasn't where the I other took piece, the... Before you answer... Okay. Before you answer, the other piece of foreshadowing is, remember we had that thing where Marissa was like a bat spider web thing that had caught an insect in its web? And that was right when Avery was starting to fall under Marissa's influence. So, um... Doesn't think it she makes get sense. a glamour from Guillermet? Well, pff, they're both fairies, whatever. You know, it works. <laughs> don't, don't worry too much about the finer details, Elliot, all right? <laughs> Just appreciate the, the synchronicity of it all coming together. Yeah, okay, sure. I mean, I, I don't have a better idea honestly for where the avery skin stuff's going it jumped out to me as well um mm. so yeah why not she's gonna turn into i don't know what sort of beetle just or, or insect screams avery i don't know enough about beetles to, to answer that question <laughs> yeah. i don't think what's a sporty I, it, I just don't think i do what's a sporty what's a sporty bug <laughs> what's the sportiest beetle i don't even okay let's google it. let's see what comes up when you google sporty beetle it's probably going to be a car, now that I think of it. Yep, the Volkswagen Beetle comes up. So that's the kind of Beetle that she's going to turn into. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah. So the gang all kind of wake up and start, wake, start you know, starting the day. Uh, then they hit the library to do some reading. Uh, Verona goes to catch up on class. Avery is gathering dirt on the Kennet others. And Lucy is gathering her own little secret collection of books. Um, yeah. So we go back into the library. I, I'm still not sure what to make of Nina. Like... During Snowdrop's interlude, the feeling of danger was legitimately so strong, but actually there was nothing that Nina did that was tangibly a threat. I mean, there was things that you could interpret as a threat, and obviously Snowdrop did, but I'm not sure if that's legit or just paranoia. I actually totally got the impression from 4.x that it was all in Snowdrop's head. Um, so I'm I'm sticking with that. I don't know, maybe if Nina ever gets her alone, she'll show some other ugly side, but um, mm. I, I just... Yeah, I don't know. I I just love like Nina's just like giving her comic books. Like Nina's just wants people to read, and it's such a funny little character beat to like to add to her. Like you know, I yeah, I I I trust Nina. <laughs> she seems quite nice, doesn't she? Um, yeah, and and like there's also that funny bit where it's like they're like, so can we talk in here? And she's like, yes, I suppose there's no reason why not. And then like later on, Avery notices that she's getting really upset that they're doing it, but she can't say anything because she did say it was okay. Mm. um but yeah um so i uh, this book collection bit is just so much fun right like the all these books have crazy titles and it does it not only makes like the world feel so rich and and developed but uh like we know avery is getting books on each kennet other and and wobbo does this cool thing where most of them don't explicitly use a word that includes like that other like, i think there's like one which is like mm. the fairy courts or something it's like okay well we know which one that's yeah. for um yeah but but like all the others it's like you have to make the connection yourself which i just thought was like a really fun extra little layer of me getting to be like ooh, you know like uh you know the i think it's like the dark synambulist or something and i was like oh i know that word from the expanse it means like sleepwalking so that's got to be alpi yes exactly um yeah it's nice to to see the books and try and see what kind of thing they're trying to learn about it uh from it yeah, yeah, and I, I just, I just like that thing of not just saying Avery went and got the fairy book, the you know nightmare book, the yeah uh, Edith spirit book. Like it's, 
<laughs> then their titles don't directly to relate to what we need, which is just fun detective work and, and makes it feel bigger. Mm, yeah. And then, and, and so Lucy, her, so Lucy's books, they're like counter espionage, like counter augury stuff. Right? Yeah. With the idea that she hates being spied on. So she wants <laughs> to start taking some action to, to prevent that. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, it's fun. I can't wait to sort of see where that goes. Cause that feels like it has the potential to start an arms race that these three are not equipped to be a part of, which is fun. Yes. Um, she, and then obviously she grabs the, uh, the books on the big three, uh, level up rituals. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we'll talk a, a bit more about one of those later in this episode, but uh, yes. yeah, uh, can't wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, something interesting that I noticed here is the three, I mean, so obviously, okay, Avery's books are focusing on the things they need to know to potentially deal with a hostile Kenneth other, right? Fair enough, good. But the rest of them, they're not, they, they've they more, especially Verona actually, have more picked out books to do with just general knowledge rather than um, deepening their specific practices. I guess I just kind of, I mean, it's fine. They've They've obviously tried to avoid being pigeonholed into just one practice anyway uh maybe except for avery but i i just think it's interesting that they aren't uh picking out books with this specific idea of well i want to become a blank so i'll study blank you know yeah that's a really good point because i would assume most of the other students would not do this sort of thing like mm. you know you could see yadira only only borrowing books on oni or uh foxes or you know, if there's something specifically relevant that she needs, like she's not just going to go and hit up a wide assortment of books that are like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they just kind of want to branch out. I guess that's fine. Just kind of, they're still in that phase where you can, you know, explore different things and see, see what you like. Yeah, especially Verona as a dabbler, um, which is typically yes. what she's still labeled as. Like she is someone who's just sort of still exploring. Mm yeah 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 interesting i I wonder what books you would get for lucy for example to if she's we still haven't got a firm answer on if she's interested in diving more down the fade duelist kind of vibe but i don't know maybe she would get books around god i I don't even know what what it would be yeah uh, lucy's someone who i don't like i don't think the fairy swordsman thing feels like a complete fit it more feels like an aspect of what she would be and they're sort of mm. latching onto it as like trying to say this is what you do. Um, mm. But like it, that person who doesn't back down and always sort of stands up feels bigger to me than just you know being a fairy swordsman than just a fairy duelist. Yeah. yeah, maybe there's something else that's a bit more of a better fit. I mean, we've joked about her. I've joked about her being a crusader, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know what the the non-religious, I guess, equivalent of that is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, like, I'm not very familiar with pack die stuff. I've only read a, a small portion of it, so I don't mm-hmm. know enough to sort of be like, this is a class that would map perfectly to Lucy. But, yeah, like, there's more to her than just a fairy association. Like, it's the fairy part that, that falls flat for me, I think. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Avery's picked out these books about the Kenneth Others, and she starts with the book about nightmares uh, to learn about Alpi, as we learn about all the different kind of others that could be associated with sleep and nightmares. Yeah, I mean, of course, of course, Avery starts with the Alpi book. Uh, makes sense. Um, <laughs> Just in case there's a thing about how to convince them to become your familiar. 
how to make your dreams become or how to make your nightmares become your dream um mm. yeah i it's funny this is really the moment where it sort of hit me like this is the school arc right like, like i mean obviously like mm. we've been here before and everything but like you know, we're getting these pairs of extra materials so far that have just been like huge amounts of like war and, and ways of thinking about the world uh, or, or specific parts of the world um, in this arc and the other, uh, sorry, in this chapter and the other chapters in this arc so far, we've just been like also getting absolutely like jam-packed nuggets of info about like the world and how bits and pieces of it work. Um, and like, that's fascinating to me because I, I would have expected like heading into this arc, I, I would have felt comfortable saying we have an understanding of the fundamental buildup of this world enough that like it could carry us through the rest of the story. We might just get details here and there. Mm. Um, whereas this arc has just sort of been like, no, you idiot, you know, nothing like here's so much extra info on, on bits of the world. And I'm just, yeah, like I, I'm curious to, learn why we might be doing that because I, I assume there's a sort of why why walbo has decided that we need all of this extra info like you know are the answers mm. to our carmine beast mystery being buried amongst like all this extra lore um as well like uh, uh yeah i wonder yeah i mean we learn about a lot of things that are like oh could this have something to do with with the carmine beast um like we learn about well, for example, one thing that comes up in the next chapter is the idea of a um, a trapped practitioner, which is just a, a random little thing that we learn about. But it, it's kind of like, oh, why are we learning about this? Is this just a cool piece of world or is this going to become relevant in the story? And I'm excited to see which things are just going to be, you know, set dressing and which are going to be relevant. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the, the person who has, you know, started dabbling with pack die stuff, is obviously just excited for any extra lore Wildbow wants to throw in that we could, you know, use to build off like pack dice stuff from. But then the other part of me who's already pale is sort of like, okay, so like, why is he making the decision to include this? And some of it's going to be red herrings, sure, but like, you know, there there must be a reason that six arcs in with what I thought was a pretty good understanding of the universe, Wildbow has decided to tell us, no, you need to know a lot more. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, we'll see why, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have any strong theories at the moment, aside from he's giving us those final clues we need for the Carmine Beast, but burying them in other stuff. That's my best theory. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, yeah, and, and can we talk about the book Avery's reading here as well? Um, because, so it's like, it's basically a book that goes through all of the others that can be related to, like, nightmares. But aside from that mm -hmm. connection, these others just have nothing in common. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like one's a fairy, one's like a boogeyman. Um, one's almost a demon. Yeah, there's there's like echoes. It, it it's just like it it felt very practitionery to me that this this book is sort of first comes at it from this angle of like you know they're associated with nightmares and then in, like lumps all these very disparate groups of others together that aren't actually related to each other like like really aside from this theme which is actually kind of a surface level connection and I, mm. I i can see i can see why it's done like that like from from a from in the universe it's sort of like i i could see the situation where a, a practitioner is like oh i need an other associated with nightmares or like i'm being you know attacked by an other associated with nightmares and if that's your starting point like that association you would need to dive at, at it from this angle 
um yeah if for a practitioner the only reason you would want to research another is either you want to use it for something or you're worried that it's being used on you right yeah exactly like that that's sort of the default lens like uh, yeah yeah I, I don't know it just it just like r- stood out to me a bit that like th- this book is covering so many various others and seemingly the only way we sort of access them was through this broad categorization of a very surface level thing I don't know, maybe now that we've yeah. figured out a bit more about what Albi is there's a better book that you meant to go and, and dive into mm. yeah I don't know because like I mean you know practitioners wouldn't write a book on you know, learning about the culture and backstory of another without an ulterior motive, I guess. Yeah. Oh, like it's not. It's not just a kind of biological study. Yeah. Like, or I suppose the question is: Is there a corresponding book on like hags? Right. Like, if we assume that they're right and that Alpi is a hag, is there a book on like hags and all the various kinds of hags categorized in that way, or like mm. is Alpi mostly going to appear in a book that's like about nightmares and then her actual classification is almost this afterthought um yeah i wonder yeah i don't know i guess it's just if it makes a nightmare you know presumably the other thing that plays into it is if it's to do with nightmares and we've learned about bindings and things like negative bindings and positive bindings Mm. you would think that you know if its domain is nightmares there'll be a lot of overlap in what you would use to bind it anyway so maybe that's the reason is just there's overlap and so you know you use a, a glass of fucking hot coffee to ward off whatever gives you <laughs> nightmares you know no I, like i totally agree like it, it does make sense to have a book like this i just couldn't help but notice that as you dive into the book it's just like all these others just really have nothing else in common and and i felt mm. like that no yeah i agree it's yeah. very much just because it's a practitioner's worldview right yeah yeah um, um I mean, also yeah. So I I want to talk about the tragedy of Avery's role here because basically so they all have to go get different groups of books um mm. and like so of course Lucy you know is is sort of getting the role of like the the books for don't fuck with me and my friends um that that feels very mm. Lucy that she's the one who's like oh I'm gonna find out how to make these dickheads pay for messing with us and make sure they can't do it. And then, of course, Verona is going to get the books on, like, what did we miss in class? What extra law is out there that we don't know about? Um, that feels very Verona. Um, but, like, kind of tragically, that leaves Avery with this third job of, I'll be the one who finds out how to fuck over all of our existing friends in Kennet uh, if we need to. Yeah. Um, it's a bit grim that Avery's been given that job. But I do think there's probably a a good benefit to it, right? Like... Yes, these textbooks are clearly from a bit of a biased perspective, but it's probably good to also get a bit of an anti-other perspective for this trio. Like, so there's this part with John where where Avery reads a thing uh, about dogs of war and then thinks that suggested John had killed a lot of people. She'd kind of known that, but it felt different in black text on a white page. And I think yeah. that's interesting because it's just like, it's good to have these moments of reminders like, yeah, these people, you have, you know, friendly working relationships with them, but they are dangerous and they've most likely, whether it's, you know, their nature compelling them to do it or not, they've most likely done some pretty dangerous and heinous things. It's probably useful to keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, they are, by definition, not innocent um, to, to, you know, varying degrees of how little I, I or how, how dark their backstory might be. Um yeah, I, I just find it tragic that, like, you know, Avery, the person who is kind of so desperate to form friendships and connections, 
is is the one he- like heading the research into how to kind of betray their mm. existing friend. Like, because if you think about it, right, like I could see a situation where the doom gets out, right, and and it's coming for Edith, and the Kennetiers find out. But luckily, you know, they they're not close by enough to save her, but they can sort of summon her using like some sort of summoning binding circle, uh, and summon mm-hmm. her somewhere safe and away. Mm. And they they do this, and it saves Edith's life. I could I would still guarantee to you that Edith would never forgive them for doing that. Like she'd hate it because she's so anti them, like binding yes. and trapping her. Um, yeah, and, and just the fact that they're knowing this, like we saw how that upset edith in in 5.d like it's this is information that they do need because they need to be able to fight the culprit when that time comes but there's still a tragedy to them needing to know how to fuck over all their friends um like Mm. this yeah Uh, yeah i guess it's pretty grim isn't it but i think they understand or at least some of them understand maybe not edith that like they literally have to what else can they do yeah but like that's I mean, like, that's probably the argument a lot of practitioners make or would have made in the early days, right? Like, you mm. you start off just knowing knowing this stuff because it's like, oh, well, if I need to defend myself or something, but it's like it, that, that way of thinking could just overtake you. True. Like, I'm not, I'm not really saying that's what's happening here. It's just like yeah, this this just feels like something that it sucks that they have to learn um, and has the potential to go south yeah i mean i guess the the train of thought of like oh we should learn this stuff just in case is more or less how practitioners have gotten to the place that they are right now yeah yeah exactly like once you have that knowledge um you know it gets it get easier to use mm, yeah every time I, you use it it would get yeah. easier and easier i don't know that that is what's going to happen here but that like yeah just that underlying yeah. tragedy of like these people uh, are, are, you know, they're patrons and and largely they're friends, and they're still having to mm. research how to trap and and like bind them. Mm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, a- Avery uh, runs her new theory past Lucy and Verona. Uh, <laughs> Alpi is a hag, someone who got so entrenched in a pattern of eating nightmares that the universe just kind of went along with it. Um. As Avery goes to read more, she eventually just realizes she's too tired and goes and wanders off. Um, yeah, I, I found this bit with Alpi being a hag really fascinating because it didn't jump out to me immediately. Like when Avery was going through the list of all the nightmare others, hag didn't jump out to me as, oh, well, that's what Alpi is. And then Avery sort of goes back and looks at it. And I was like, oh, no, actually, yeah, okay. I, I see that now that you've pointed it out. Um, yeah, like it, it, it's interesting without knowing more about like hags or, or, or anything. I don't quite know what to read into it, but, um, it just feels like a, you know, it, it reminds us of Alpi's tragic backstory, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. The the implication with this stuff from Alpi is like, oh, she might have been more violent or gruesome than we thought. But they kind of think that that's not the case, which I think I agree with. Yeah. I'm, we haven't seen anything to suggest that Alpi is violent or, or any of that. And one of the big things that's mentioned about these hags is like they they have this pattern that they sort of have to stick to. Mm. So presumably if that was Alpi's pattern, like she wouldn't have been able to like got cut back like this. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's also, oh, there's this great moment. I, I just want to quickly like talk about how clever mm. these three, these three girls are. So they have this moment where 
uh, they sort of are like, oh, yes, we had trouble with the ghoul last night. And basically, are like, clearly playing some fucking 5D chess where it's like, oh, you know, the, the, uh, like, anyone who's listening will now think that one of the Kenner others is a ghoul. Um, and all three of them kind of immediately get on board with this bit, which is just like, <laughs> wait, see, Avery, wait, you guys are so in sync. You, like, stop, stop worrying so much. Like, this is incredible. Mm. I feel like if I tried yeah. to do this with two of my good. friends, there'd, there'd be one of them who's like, what do you mean? There's no ghoul in Kennet. Yeah, I, 100%. I, like, it took me a few times to understand what was going on just because I'm that slow. See, exactly. Uh, you yeah, would have been great, that friend. You would have brought it all down. My, yes, my... 100%. I would have <laughs> fucked it up. And then I would have looked around and be like, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that ghoul. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, so damn I, that ghoul. Yeah, just it's such a great, such a great little moment. I hope it pays off. I hope, I hope, like later on in the story, it's like Alexander's rocking into Canet with all his anti-ghoul shit, <laughs> just for no reason. Although, actually, one of the other books <laughs> Avery pulls out as like a distraction is um a book on like divine things, and we learnt that uh, Verona's eye friend is yes. is divine so like i was like oh that's actually a pretty shitty uh decoy avery because it's it's actually now true it's uh, about to come true yet. yeah <laughs> <sighs> well but then it'll i guess pan out for them they'll have done all this research and it might be useful even though the uh divine divine face melty girl is probably the least likely to be a threat <laughs> I mean, she... or at least from carmine beast murder yeah and she doesn't eat babies we do know that Mm. (laughs) um (laughs) yeah oh there's also a bit where uh the kennedys notice that none of the really important info is in these books like they feel like like traps or like advertising like it's like that you know these books aren't a public service or, or like a textbook they're honestly just fucking like yeah like advertising like there's this there's this business plan of like oh, you want to know about, like, nightmares? Like, here's all the basic info, and we'll get you to the point where you can trust us to know what we're talking about. And that's like, oh, but you actually want to summon... And that's where you have to pay. Yeah, yeah and Alpie, well, you're going to need to come to us and, like, you know, do some sort of direct deal. Like, it's... it's As soon as I sort of had that realisation, I was like, oh, that's, that just... It does feel very practitionary from what we've seen of people like Alexander and Bristow. The, mm. uh, yeah, of, of course it's like this. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's classic freemium... Uh, freemium uh, uh monetization <laughs> yeah. marketing strategy for games right you know give them the first few mobile game levels as the hook and then they have to pay to get into it more right um yeah it's classic in, and it, it's it works yeah except in this situation it's it, it could be like life-threatening like it's a freemium game crossed with the ring that'll kill you if you don't yeah it. that just means you're much more likely to pay the price <laughs> elliot all right if anything that's a positive yeah it's but it's just crazy to think about like that's presumably a huge chunk of the library so you've got like yes. like, like you know when i think of a library i think of oh that's the place with the knowledge but uh now i, I think a, a lot and maybe this is unfair maybe this is unfair to characterize a huge chunk of the library based on this small sample but i can't help but like look at mm. this whole thing and think no this isn't a library it's it's a place for you to do research so you know like it's like a yellow page it's 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 how you, how you get in contact with the people who can actually give you the important info. I mean, yeah, it's basically just advertising for practitioners as consultants, right? Like, yeah. read the book, and then if you want anything more serious, you got to pay our family to come and actually teach it to you personally. Um, 
so yeah, it, it's it's great. It's classic. It's it's annoying <laughs> as hell for for the purposes of learning because it's not information for information's sake. It's information for the sake of like, you know how sometimes you'll Google something and the answer that comes up will be like, what are the top ten blah? And it's clearly a listicle that has been made by a company to promote their own product and it has just enough information to kind of half answer your question. But then for more information or for the proper answer. Oh, why don't you buy our product or, or sign up to whatever? Um, that's what I, it is, exactly. I get those for like, like you know, it's like, oh, how do I, I, I don't think this is the, the actual example, but like, you know, oh, how do you convert this type of video to this type of video? And there'll be things like three mm-hmm. ways to convert video X to video Y. And it's basically like way one, kind of shitty. Way two, also kind of shitty. Way three, buy our product. And it just does it for yeah, you. Yeah, and we'll so do it easy. for you, exactly. <laughs> It's yeah. like, oh, fuck you. Totally, that's what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. And, okay, uh, as a next step, if we could all put our tinfoil hats mm-hmm. on for a second. Okay, um, I've got mine right here. Russell, Always ready. Russell, Russell. Um, so, yep. uh, you know, uh, trying to trying to dig down on my theory that hidden somewhere in here is, is very relevant information to the Kennet mystery. Uh, Verona starts talking about what she's reading about in this transmutation alchemy book. Um, and she sort of goes on over how like transmutation can go f- beyond just like you know solid to gas or gold to a, a philosopher's stone. You can do stuff like change these really fundamental properties of things, so like weight and density, or or like even converting flesh to spirit. Um, and and wait, flesh to spirit jumped out as me is like, hey, you know, we we know that we've got some culprits sitting on a giant pile of carmine flesh. Of flesh, um, yeah. Uh, like are they and, and this alchemy stuff i think uh, verona said it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of like expensive stuff are they are they slowly converting part of it to something else mm-hmm. yeah i i actually quite like this i don't know if this was intentional <laughs> that verona has stumbled across something that might be really useful but you're definitely right this is one of the ones that feels like oh it it feels like it's more than just background dressing for the world it's you know maybe there's the flesh has been taken to do some kind of alchemical ritual with. Um, yeah, I interestingly, when I heard about this alchemy stuff and the stuff about like turning flesh to spirit and stuff, like turning one thing into another thing, which is the principle of alchemy, right? It made me wonder if Verona is using it as a way to potentially turn herself a bit more other, kind of exploring her options. Oh, I, I there's like this that. weird moment. Well, there's a weird moment, right, where Lucy kind of is almost seems to be pushing. Uh, Verona to not be reading this book anymore and I kind of had the vibe of maybe Lucy has had a similar thought and it's kind of like I don't like this train of thought maybe you should go for a different book uh yeah I just I hadn't picked up on that there is the moment where uh Avery reads something about I think it's about the hags and it's sort of like hmm do I want mm. to tell Verona about this um yeah yeah I mean, yeah that that maybe that makes more sense than me speculating that people are doing something crazy with the Carmine Beast remains mm. We shall see. Yeah, we shall indeed. One of us must So, yeah, I, <laughs> there's only two options, 50-50. <laughs> Avery um, kind of uh, wanders off and stumbles upon Alexander leading an impromptu class on uh, looking into the past, a past class. I, so the thing about Alexander here is, uh, wait, okay, because we know he's <laughs> I'm the in worst. suspense, Elliot. What is it? <laughs> wait, we, we know he's the worst, but I just couldn't help but, like, think he was great in this scene. Like he's he's really one of those villains I love to hate, but not not in the way. Like you, I, I feel usually when I use the term love to hate, it, it's genuinely I find them 
like villainously entertaining but like like alexander mm-hmm. in this scene he didn't feel villainously entertaining he was just straight up entertaining and i yeah. kept having to remind myself this is alexander he's a piece of shit like don't get suckered into him just being like oh yes <laughs> come into my you, class Elliot? like i you know i'm just being a good teacher yeah well, yeah like i, I, I like and this is why I fucking love him as a villain because every time he's on screen, I can't help but be like, "Man, this guy's fucking great." Mm. Yeah, um, he's good, isn't he? I... <clears throat> Let's talk about him a bit more. I, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of. I wonder what whether he has an ulterior motive here. Like, so he basically offers to help Jessica look into the past for free, right? Um, yeah, which is with mega no... sus. right. Right, it is sus. Obviously, you should be suspect of, of anyone in this world when that when they offer to do something for free. But like Alexander's explanation is, no, it's just goodwill from you paying tuition. Like, let's leave it at that. And I think there's something a little bit more to it. My guess is that the more he can kind of play into the role of being the nice, good principal of the school, the stronger his hold over the school is which obviously is something that he wants at the moment with the Bristow Civil War kind of brewing. So kind Uh. of interestingly, the spirits are kind of demanding of him that he is a good principal so that he can keep his hold over the school, which I think is fun. Um, But I don't think there's anything more to it than that. Yeah, I I spent quite a while trying to figure out what his angle is here. Um, Mm. Like The best I could come up with was he was trying to do something where it was like getting ownership of the ritual by leading it and doing it for free so like he'd have more claim Mm -hmm. over whatever jessica found um i like yours better i like this idea that um as part of his competition to to ensure his claim on the school as opposed to brusso he's having to Mm -hmm. basically be a nice person um be a good principal (laughs) yeah uh, what a twist that is actually quite funny so i i really like it um i'm gonna i'm gonna switch my answer to that now um Mm. yeah like I, yeah, I don't know. I, like the, I, I, uh, we'll get into the Bristol and Alexander competition more. Um, but, you know, even him being nice just for this selfish reason, I mean, it's not the worst thing, but, like, you know, doing the right thing for the wrong reasons is eventually going to catch up with us if we, if we let him, you know. Because, like, it gives him ownership of the school. Once that's not in contention, he might go back to being a piece of shit, you know? Well, yes. So what the Kennedys really need to do is just hold hold an eternal conflict <laughs> make sure that there's water. always a, a fight over the ownership of the school and then alexander will just have to be a good principal as a result i mean hey if your if your goal is to keep practitioners in fighting like there's harder things to do <laughs> mm. look at this school they're fucking bristol and alexander have set it off almost on a fucking accident um uh, yeah. Like, yeah i think they'll be fine um <laughs> I, I i love this analysis as well of how how like how you can look back in time um just because there's so many options like you know it's like oh are Mm. you looking in on the spirits through some sort of time door are you having other Mm. spirits like re-perform things uh Mm. there's so many angles that you can come at it through that each have their own pros and cons um and then this idea as well that adds stakes of oh you know you're recreating a treaded path but in doing so you're kind of treading on it too so the more you do that like the more you just kind of muddy that path and and you can't just do it over and over again like because this obviously like you know verona and avery are sort of like oh we're not that interested in this later and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about of course yeah that's insane (laughs) 
of, of How course. How could you not be interested? Yeah, we yeah. we definitely need that. Like because my first thought was, oh, we could see how the combo beast was killed. And I was like, actually, no, it's probably way easier to look at where those three teenagers were killed in Arc Five. Yeah. Um. Wait, that would yeah. be hugely beneficial, and I feel like that is why Alexander yep. invited them in here because he probably knows that they could get some use out of this, and he wants to have a part in that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it would be great. It, like it's basically just solving the mystery, right? Um, which is great. I like literally. Some people have predicted that maybe Matthew has like taken away memories of stuff, which is how they've gotten around the whole not lying thing. Yeah. If that's the case, looking into the past is probably the only way to definitively know what actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like it, it feels like such a fucking useful tool. Um. Yeah. But like the yeah again um, like this this stake that's added of like you're only going to get one or two shots is great as well because it means if if pressure can be put on it because like you know with augury people can look back so when they go and look and i think this is the argument lucy makes against doing it uh later in the chapter um it's like mm. if they do it presumably the person will know that they've seen them um yeah which, which like leads to might cause more problems yeah, yeah but it like that puts a pressure on them as well to get in and do it quick which means they might miss something and then they can't go back um and the whole like yeah. the whole fact that it the fact that you can't go back to it without sort of changing things as well i feel like i, I think i've talked a bit before how like i, I feel like the, the strength of this world is like the way the spirits operate kind of reflects human psychology and that's why this world is so cool because like human human psychology naturally tends towards trying to define and and find patterns and that's what this world ends up doing um mm. and i feel like this augury bit it, it actually kind of relates to the way human memory works because as you go back and and like think about memories you actually kind of adjust them every time like i remember seeing a documentary on this which sort of like if you one of the things that i remember from this documentary although how do i how well do i remember it is is the point i'm going to bring up like if you have a memory of something that you went through as a child right and and then like if a couple mm. of years later you sort of are retelling that story but you embellish it mm. if you it, there was something where it's like if you do that like four times or something uh and, and you 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 keep repeating that embellishment it can actually get in your head and you'll remember the embellished yes. version as the truth yeah like memory is something that's very fickle if you embellish it or even just kind of every time you remember something it can change and those changes can build up over time to the point where you get you know a mandela effect or berenstain bears kind of stuff that yeah. feels very real to people right yeah exactly exactly and so like i, I wonder if that is like some of the problem with a lot of this this yeah. stuff like if you try to go back in time and and see some like famous event like the the jfk assassination like all the yeah. other augers going to it will just have completely distorted it to the point where you're not getting anything useful because it's going to be like mm. all, all that mud that's been treaded or like change things so you probably go there and you'll like see a fucking flock of vampires flying around for some reason because somebody else brought vampires <laughs> with them for some reason you know Yep, why not? Um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I I think, you know, I don't think where we're going to go with this story is they just look into the past and that's what solves the mystery for them. I think either we'll get it at the very end as a kind of confirmation of and here's how it all went down, or we just won't see it at all. Um, well, if, if they had to go back to where the three teenagers were killed and sort of do it quickly because the person will yep. have known this whole time that they were seen or whatever... Um, yeah it, it might just give us a much smaller clue like if there's like time pressure on the trip and, and all that then it might we might just walk away with oh it was 
Matthew or maybe even less like you know you could walk away with just a, a tiny bit of knowledge about who it was because you go to the scene too early or too late to avoid detection um I feel like there's yeah. ways to work this ritual in in a way that doesn't just hand us the answer on a platter but serves yeah. to give us clues of the level of like remember we weren't in 3.z that the hungry choir was the murder weapon um yes like something of that level maybe yeah i also think it would be fun to have uh, us go back in time in air quotes know that the person knows that they were seen and then try have to go back through the existing chapters to kind of be like now who is acting like they've been seen in the past <laughs> Yeah. I think that's something Wild Bird might have seen it and could be very fun to pull off. Yeah, because it'd be so cool if it was like, you know, say say it was Matthew. I like just use Matthew as an example. Yeah. Like Matthew was there and he gets the clue that the Kenneteers were looking at him, but he knows it's not for two days. So he's kind of got this two-day yeah. head start to put in whatever Machiavellian schemes he can think of to snare them when he knows in two days they're going to figure out it was he was there or something. Yeah, yeah, that could be pretty fun. Um, anyway, so yeah, they, they kind of have sat in on this class and Alex holds uh, Avery and Verona after, after class to invite uh, them to attend this ritual. Uh, Lucy has escaped and Alex is trying to fish for information a bit, but the, uh, the Kennedys are taking a firm stance against giving him anything, which is good. Um, yeah, I hope they go uh, so to yeah. this, this ritual the next day. Oh, I, yeah? I, I really want to see that. Just like, there's so much to, to do there. Like Zed's involved. Jess is it, yeah. critically important for Jess um yeah i feel like it's useful for us like yeah i really hope this happens yeah me too i think it'll be great to see uh i like i mean yes it's so important to jess but also i just kind of want to know what it looks like to go back into the past i guess we saw yep. some of it in um mile end uh in mile end exactly right um i'm imagining something similar to that if you if you listen to that bonus episode maybe we'll see what this is gonna turn into yeah, um, well, I, but that's the cool thing, right? I, I I sort of talked about this earlier. Like, there's all these different ways mm. Alexander brings up. Like, yes, y- you can do this in so many ways. It might actually look almost nothing like what we saw in my land. You never know. Yeah, true. We don't we don't know at all. Um, but yeah, so uh, the Kennedys bring their books back to their room and uh, start to protect their books before heading out for dinner. Uh, yep, and everyone's hungry. Uh, even Verona and even Snowdrop, which um. Even Snowdrop, who's eaten like five entire meals so far. <laughs> yeah. Although still somehow it was more miraculous to me that Verona was hungry because, you know, we all know Snowdrop's a little glutton. Um, <laughs> yeah. But this, uh, again, this is a great follow up to the humor at the start of the chapter. Like, and this is like just yeah. as fun. And again, for me, just reaffirms how great these four are as a group and how little Avery needs to be worrying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are such a good group, aren't they? Um, yeah, the the line of Snowdrop talking about how she's saving up for winter and how when you think about it, that just makes absolutely no sense <laughs> is pretty great. Um, Snowdrop, I think, is just kind of fucking with them in a very fun way. Yeah, there's a couple of beats in this chapter and the next one where I get the impression Snowdrop is playing with her, her uh, you know, the way the universe slips what she says to her advantage. Yes. Um, yeah, it feels like she's just kind of messing with them, right? Which is weird. I didn't know that she could do that, but I guess she can. Well, because, okay, like, if you think about it, so her, her thing that she sort of says here is, I'm saving up for winter, which, like, yes. from her perspective, like, she must have presumably said something like, well, it's not like I'm saving up for winter, which yeah. doesn't make sense. Kind of makes sense. 
Not really. Well, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but in the greater in the greater context of, of the argument, it's it's a complete non sequitur. It's I, I kind of think you're right. I think she may have just been like, I'm just going to bring up Winter for no reason, just to like fuck yeah, with Avery, just to fuck with with the uh, what's going on in their minds, <laughs> just so they can't, just so Verona specifically can't win this argument. <laughs> um, another thing as well, you already sort of touched on. Uh, Avery's having like little uh skin crawly bits with her glamour uh a lot this chapter after yes. lucy and verona sort of throw some doubt on the uh vol- or I don't know, reliability of it um which is it's a yeah. great like self-fulfilling prophecy thing where it's like yeah the glamour will work as long as you think it works but if you think as long it's not as you, working yes yeah. it's not gonna work it's like well i can't just make myself suddenly switch like yeah uh, suddenly not think of it as working <laughs> what does that even mean yeah, it's like it's like if if you're sort of panicking and someone tells you, "Well, there's nothing you can do, so just don't stress." And it's sort yeah. of like, "Well, I mean, great, very helpful, thank you." Yeah, it's like, yeah, that doesn't it doesn't work like that. Human humans don't quite work like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, we sort of joked about Avery turning into an insect or something, but like, I we know that glamour. Do you think there's something there? Not necessarily an insect, but do you think we're going to get a glamour shattering moment for Avery? I mean, that that kind of feels like where we're heading, or at the very least, like you know, she's mm. she's been using it to give herself this confidence, and like you know, yes, we know glamour isn't the best thing to build a strong foundation off of. Um, you know, just ask Daniel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, like you know, if we're starting to see holes poked in that, I wonder if it is going somewhere, like because. Even if we, even if the glamour is maybe a good thing, um, which I'm still a little mm. skeptical of, it, it's like mm. at a certain point, Avery needs to move past the point where she's reliant on it for me to think it could possibly yeah. be a good thing. Um, so maybe that's where we're heading. I, I don't know. A, a confrontation where Avery kind of realizes that she's been over reliant on it. Yeah, or or just that she can't she can't rely on it. Yeah, mm. not that she's being over reliant on it, but it, like at a certain point, she'll need to just stop not to rely on it so much. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Um, uh, the trio uh, make their way to the dining hall and on their way find a fight between two students in progress. But luckily, Radical Ray comes in and completely saves the day. <laughs> Unquestionably. Yeah, okay. I want to question it, actually. How dare you, So he has this moment where he sort of comes in and he breaks up the fight and he's like, this is the kind of thing that results in expulsion for both parties. Yep. And I'm like, okay. I okay. I don't want to turn this into my personal soapbox about like how bullshit zero tolerance policy stuff is. Although maybe mm-hmm. that ship has already sailed. Um, Too late. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. There's absolutely a chance that Melody, uh, who's the, the sort of victim in this fight, is the manipulative piece of shit she's made out to be, and mm-hmm. maybe she needs something done to stop her from from being that. But like, like we we don't know at this yeah. point. Like that needs an investigation. All that I could yeah, say. Yeah, we definitely haven't fight, got the full story. Yeah, all, all we can say from this fight is Ray has walked in, and one girl is like cursing the other, literally, not swearing at her, like doing magical <laughs> curse shit. On literally her. putting a hex on her. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just like, okay, like in what world is that both of you get expelled? Like the answer to that question in what world, Elliot, is the world of practitioners, <laughs> right? Like we're in a we're in a weird world where shit like this happens. I don't know. I'm kind of willing to. You know, like I'm willing to accept that there's some funky, funky shit going on here, and therefore, you know, you kind of got to play by slightly different rules, I guess. I mean, I don't know. If if you walk in on a fight and one girl's like attacked and literally cursed the other, yeah, as as she's yeah. held her up against a wall, 
it feels like there's yeah. pretty clearly one person who needs to get in trouble <laughs> and then depending on yeah. the stories that shake out another person who can be investigated but yeah you're right i mean you're right you're right there's clearly a violent instigation here i guess i'm just kind of like more likely to believe there's shenanigans going on i mean even like you know we see uh we see what's his face kevin the evil eye um and it's inferred that he is responsible for this that that could we could extend that same uh thought to ray and think maybe ray is being called in to be overly strict specifically as a act of evil eyedness i don't know if the evil eye is, the evil as subtle is as... jealousy specific yeah, yeah. it doesn't know, quite yeah. add up i guess yeah like i don't know I, it, it did just i guess the thing for me is the idea that this world would do that sort of zero tolerance bullshit actually like yeah. felt very natural like i was like yeah of course these people like you know like <laughs> look at charles right like charles has been forsworn yeah. We, we don't know 100% how true his story was, but if you take it at anywhere yeah. near face value, a sort of life yeah. sentence of misery for that is just such bullshit. Like It's quite over the top, isn't it? Yeah, like zero tolerance bullshit. I could absolutely see that being like, you know, something yeah. that these people pick up. A function of this world, yeah. Grim, but probably true. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it's maybe a bit of an overreaction, but eh. Um, so yeah, the Kenneteers uh, end up, as we mentioned, seeing Bristow and Ted the Champion and Evil Eye Kev, uh, and they realize that things are starting to heat up, the school is becoming a war zone, uh, but, you know, they're here to learn, they can't leave. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this ending to this chapter here, this really felt to me like, mm. okay, we're setting up what Arc 6, at least, is going to be. This yeah. is like the, the Blue yeah. Heron Institute Civil War. Um, yeah. And we can't just run away like you should because there's stuff the Kennedys need to do here. Um, yes, they so have the, obligations they need to meet by being here. Yeah, so the, Unfortunately. The, essentially the premise uh, as we move into the next part of this story is this place is turning into a fucking magical war zone, but we kind of have to stay here. Uh, which is Kind of have to deal with it. Yeah, yeah very fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we're setting up this idea of the BHI civil war. Lines are being drawn. We're kind of getting a picture of both sides. Um, and I guess we will continue that discussion and exploration in the next chapter, Cutting Class 6.3. Anything else we want to say about 6.2 while we're here? Uh, how does Snowdrop fit so much? In, like, just from a physical standpoint, <laughs> how does she fit all that? How does she fit that much food in? Good question. <laughs> I don't know if there's an answer magic uh, magic is the answer it's magic don't worry about it no that doesn't add up that's that, that just doesn't doesn't compute um <laughs> yeah cool let's jump into 6.3 we're in verona's uh perspective now so verona and the gang are walking to go and eat their lunch um and uh, verona notes how the place kind of feels like a prison yard at the moment which is pretty grim but probably accurate um, but yeah, so they, uh, they end up going to sit with Yadira, Lucy's, uh, fox friend from earlier. So I love that moment where Lucy sort of was like, she calls out to Yadira and then sort of gives yeah. Verona and Avery the look of like, yeah, hey, hey this is cool. Right. And Verona's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's a bit late for that. Um, which again, uh, getting my tinfoil hat back on for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like this is the start of the strifiness stuff maybe coming in like this is just mm. this is one of those very believable little grievances that would start to add up like 
and it felt very kind of un Lucy-ish. I don't know. I don't know. Just to sort of mm. be like, oh, I'll check with them afterwards. Like that. Just that little order. I was just like, is this something? It, like it just feels slightly out of character for Lucy to do that. Yeah, and there's more stuff that happens in this chapter that I'm I'm going to talk about as stuff I think the strife is hitting these three. Uh, and this is like the mm. first little one of just like, oh, this seems like an unnecessarily harsh way for Lucy to have gone about this. Do you think there's something going on with the fact that they go and talk to Yadira at all? Like it seems like a weird, I guess they're just trying to find a friend, but it, it feels like why Yadira, you know? Well, wait, Lucy's actually the one who brings, because Lucy bring her up, at another point in 6.2 as well as mm. like friend material so mm. it's very much lucy who's kind of stuck in this mindset of let's go hang out with yadira and friends um she specifically calls out yadira and i'm just like yes is that just their you know their fox pals thing like drawing them together or mm. because i think 6.1 where we first met yadira wasn't that from lucy's perspective i like uh Yes, it was. That was the classroom sequence with Durache. Yeah. And I, I don't remember Lucy particularly thinking Yadira was great in that chapter. Yeah, so, I mean, she was cool, but she she wasn't, you know, she didn't seem like she left that much of an impression, right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, is it just their, their fox affinity drawing them together? Something else? <laughs> their the best fox, fox friends. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I don't know. I just did notice it is specifically Lucy who seems to constantly bring Yadira up as someone they should hang out with if they want to make more friends. Maybe maybe there's yeah, something more right. of that it, than Fox friends. Maybe there's, you know, something going on. I don't know. No. Um, we should talk about the prison yard metaphor that that rears its head throughout this chapter, right? Because um, mm. I, I quite like it. And it quite, it especially in the concept of uh, giving the kind of gangs and groups that form up a much more harsh tone than if it was just... Um, you know, schools, schoolyard kind of gangs, I guess. Yeah. Um, I do quite like it. I, I'm trying to remember whether Verona ever described her home as being prison-like and, you know, her dad therefore being the warden kind of makes sense. I, I don't think she did, but it feels like a, a, a metaphor that she might have used to just describe a, her home as a, as a shitty place, which makes me worry that this place is starting to become less of an escape for Lucy than it has been in the past. I... I don't think she's ever used that term for her home. I think something similar-ish mm. to Kennet as a whole. Um, mm. But one of the things about her home is she's actually generally been quite free to just leave her dad and not yeah. suffer as much. Like that's actually mm. been one of the defining features of her home is that her dad doesn't give enough of True. a shit. That she, she has free reign to leave. Yeah. Um, so it's more like Kennet as a prison, um, if, if anything. Mm. Uh, I, I mm. do think, yeah, I mean, obviously the prison yard metaphor works. I, I think the thing that really sells it is that, like, the teachers are having to, like, patrol, like, guards and walk between people to, like, disseminate tension. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I I mean, I hope this place is becoming less of an escape for Verona because I don't think that was a healthy healthy mindset to take into something this yeah. dangerous. Um, yeah, definitely. But I don't want it to be at the cost of her comparing this place to her dad. So, I hope that that's mm. what Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. It's also, like, there's a hilarious moment where they're talking to Yadira about it, and Yadira's just sort of like, mm. yeah, this sort of thing actually happens, like, every couple of years. Happens a lot around here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which, like, I think I'd been working off the assumption that this was, like, the worst it might have been ever. Or, right, this know. is the Civil War taking shape. Yeah, whereas, like, too. 
Yadir is just sort of like, yeah, I mean, this this happens every couple of years. And I was sort of like, oh, well, I guess, yeah, like, you know, how long ago was it that Alexander took the school from Bristow, mm. right? Like, and, um, like, yeah, I could just sort of believe. I, I think it would be a very apt metaphor if it's like this bullshit infighting between the adults on top uh, manifests as like full-on confrontations and wars between all of the students. Because, you know, it's like, mm. that's like, you know, Europe, during the entire last millennia.txt where it's like two fucking royals <laughs> would, would get in a tiff and and you know it's the peasants who have to go into the war and that's sort of what's happening here i think maybe yeah i think so i mean we're getting the, the yadira as one of the maybe not peasants maybe knights is a more apt metaphor but yeah yeah i just just what i mean like, um, there's, there's an upper class having a tiff and everyone else suffers is, is sort of the the metaphor i'm going for like it's bristow and alexander are are combating each other and it means places like Kennet, the Blue Heron Institute, go into like full on conflict mm. um and, and they're not even involved in it directly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I mean, yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely what's going on here, right? Well and, and um, just like it's not it's not that rare. Like these two have been fighting over the school before. Like so I could see it being the last time, like a couple of years ago when this happened, maybe that was when Alexander took it from Bristow. And, mm. and like this bullshit just sort of happened again and everyone's kind of normalized it it's like oh yeah you know wars here they just sort of happen it's like they well, just happen like that yeah maybe get monarchs who aren't pieces of shit like yeah yeah you need someone else in charge is the obvious answer to that yeah um <laughs> yeah uh so we're kind of this is like us setting the stage for Kennet, or not Kennet, the Blue Heron Institute Civil War, right? Um, and yeah. as that's the case, we need to know more about uh, Bristow's militia, I guess, which is what we start to get in this chapter. Um, but I just kind of think it's interesting. This, you know, the trio are claiming neutrality when they interact with people here, but they're not neutral. The story isn't setting up neutrality in this conflict. The story is very much setting up. Uh, you know, Bristow is the mean one and Alexander is the nice one, right? Like in all their interactions, that's how it's been defined. So we as the audience are definitely seeing Alexander as like the goodie, um, even though that's probably not a fair label to apply to him. Yeah, I think you're totally right because, you know, like Alexander was nice these last few chapters. The conflict with him kind of resolved as them coming to the school. Like as much as they yeah. want to remain neutral, and now it kind of makes sense why Alexander didn't even fight them on that. They're like, oh, we're going to be neutral. And he's like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so like, sure no, you will, bud. <laughs> yeah, because it's like they have unresolved conflicts with Bristow, where it's like technically all of their beef with Alexander is not around right now. Um, well, yeah, it's explicitly barred for five years, right? Yeah, like this is that sinister bullshit that Alexander does. Um Mm. I, I think you're right. I think as much as these three are trying to play neutral, I feel like they're going to end up on Alexander's side just by association and shit that's out of their control. Yeah. No, I agree. I think there's no way for them to avoid the fact that they're just going to end up on Alexander's side. And and like a lot of the people here don't strike me as the kind to let you just be like neutral. Mm. Like I could see a lot of you're either with us or against us bullshit. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the vibe that, well, I guess we'll get to that when we when we dive into the conversation with Yadira more, but that 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 vibe definitely exists, right? Yeah. Um, let's jump into that uh, conversation. So we, we get into this conversation with Yadira and Raquel. Uh, the trio start poking for information on the school and on Bristow specifically. Also, we get teased with stuff on the Oni. Like, 
multiple sure. times. <laughs> I'm just you like think that's going to be something. Yeah, this feels like a thing now because Walbo teases us with this like four times in this chapter, and it came up in six dot one. Yeah, and it, so like at this yeah. point, I'm just like, what are you hiding? Wait, why? I don't know. It, it, it's it every every other bit. It's like, oh, Verona would love okay. to learn about the Oni. And I'm like, yes, me too. And it's like, oh, yes, well, the Oni, it's something distracts them. And I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. There's mm. something about the Oni, and I need to know what it is. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. Let this be my chocolate. The uh, like, There's going to be something yeah. important about the Oni. Sure. Okay. Called it. Elliot has made the call. The Oni are going to be important. Um <laughs> There's a line that I thought was interesting as we get into um there's this part where they go and sit next to Yadira and Yadira says, If you want Snowdrop, there's a table of others around the corner. Which is just interesting. I mean, I don't know exactly what this table of others entails specifically, but it kind of feels like there's this weird um like segregation of these tables yeah. that's going on. So first of all, the others don't get to sit with the actual people, which is pretty grim in and of itself. Yeah. But also I'm very curious what's sitting at this table. Are they just familiars <laughs> or is there other stuff around? Uh, yeah. I kind of think it would be cool to have Snowdrop sense, you know, sniff them out and, and see who's there. Honestly, my, my thought with this was like, yeah, because I, I had the same thought where it felt very segregation-y to me and I was like, oh, that's shitty. Um, yeah. And my thought was actually, you know what? All four of you, go sit with the others. <laughs> like, Yeah, interesting. Be the change you want to see. And also like, yeah, like I, I feel like they're the ones It'd who are going to have- much more interesting stuff to talk about like yeah yeah probably also a lot of the dirt um yeah like go go sit with the others i say mm. all four of them interesting that. yeah i like the idea i think it'll be cool to see um so yeah okay so let's run through bristow's militia right because we kind of get them identified here there's shelly daniel's brother who's wrapped up in all this silver stuff to kind of protect herself from the fae cool um there is also evil eye kevin and his girlfriend ray who is kind of weird but we don't really know what her deal is yet uh, we will find out hopefully later on in the story we'll have to see um and then of course there's ted the golden boy who will take more of an active role this chapter and we will get to that as it happens yeah but like first let's just talk about shelly's fucking uh fashion <laughs> deal look. yeah i know um yeah it's it's phenomenal like because it gets like a paragraph That's and radical, a half and I was just yeah. like, what the fuck is this? And then it was like, oh, it's human. Yeah. Oh, it's Shelly. Um, yeah. I It's it's curious as well, because we haven't seen much of Bright Fall, which I looked it up, and that's the court that Shelly was taken into. Yes. Um, And it's like, I wonder how much of this is like a Bright Fall look and how much of it is just kind of, because we know she's sort of a, a an anti-fairy assassin or whatever. And, and mm. one of my first thoughts when we saw she had like all these piercings, she has like a belt that's going in, in and out through like buckles in her skin. Um, mm. And I was just sort of like, that felt kind of goblin-y to me, mm. which I was like, oh, like, it kind of makes sense that like somebody who specializes in fighting fairy would, would have some goblin aspects to them because like, you know, that we've seen how good goblin stuff is at counteracting glamour and fairy. Yes. Um, and in fact, yeah, I think you'd want to, if you're, taking down fairy shroud yourself in goblin yeah and i think raquel even <laughs> even later sort of says oh i thought there was a bit of a goblin vibe but it didn't feel right so i feel like yeah in the same mm. way daniel wasn't countered by a, a a goblin as well as a fairy might be i feel like shelly mm. is probably as well as leaning into the bright eyes and the fairy part of herself and you know like having cool like crazy fairy fashion is also maybe leaning into some gobliny aspects to you know empower the killing the fairies part mm. yeah um i i think we need to see more of shelly to see her in action i wonder if we will because we get confirmation later that 
she was going to go up against the trio, but was talked out of it by Ted the Golden, <laughs> which I think is good for our characters, but bad for us as the audience who wanted to see Shelley in action. What well, I think it's funny because I, for me, that moment really solidified. Like I had been thinking of Shelley as someone who was going to very potentially be on the Kennedy's side and would cut them slack mm-hmm. because they helped Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> Ted basically just comes in here to be like, yeah, that's no, not like yeah, she, no. she wanted to come and kill you anyway. And I was kind of like, well, what a, like, fuck her. Like, um, I know. I mean, technically, God. like, Ted's not awake. He could be lying. I don't know if he does. Like, true. Put, put yeah, out there. I guess Maybe we Shelley don't know is. if he lies. Um, yeah. So, Maybe Shelley's you know. super chill and Ted's fucking with them. <laughs> I have no reason. Like, Ted doesn't strike me as the kind to lie. So, like, I'm not, I'm not actually suggesting that that's what's happening here. I think he is probably telling the truth. Um, yes, I think so. Too. I, I do just want to say that, like, you know, technically he may not be. Um, Mm-hmm. And, you know, you should read carefully into everything he says. But, um, yeah, like I, for me, that moment with Ted and Shelley, I was just sort of like, okay, well, we can't count on Shelley then. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. She seemed like a handy asset to have on side. Yeah. Ah, uh, well. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're talking more to you, Dira, about Bristow uh, and how how and why they think Bristow's nice and why they think Alex is a tool. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what this conversation's about, right? Who's the goody and who's the baddie out of Bristow and Alexander? Yeah, I think the weird thing is, is like, Yudira's whole framing for this is she's she sort of only really knows much about Bristow. And so she goes on, like, and tells this whole story about, like, Bristow and his away. Like, oh, they came to my house and just, like, completely fucked our shit up. Um, like, he brought these three <laughs> <Yeah>. away. <laughs> And, and like yeah like they completely ruined my night and it, it was great as well because one of them was mr figueroa from uh yes uh from clem's stuff which was delightful um but yeah the like, point of that story though is that she likes bristow yeah like that that was the crazy what thing the fuck? Me, is yudira goes on this whole speech about how terrible this night with the aware was that bristow brought to her house for dinner and then her sort of summation is so yeah bristow's pretty cool but fuck alexander and i was like what what yeah what the fuck are you talking about yeah (laughs) it's actually nonsense right (laughs) clearly nonsense yeah and again she does that thing where she's like oh he doesn't usually advertise that he's a collector it's interesting that you know that and it's like i mean you you just said he collects people like what are you (laughs) yeah i didn't say it was a capital c (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no i i I don't understand. Yes, Alex is a tool, but in what world could you possibly think that in what world could you possibly think that Bristow is not ridiculously creepy and gross? I guess. Yeah, like, there's enough there's enough hate in my heart for both of them, and I'm frankly concerned at somebody who doesn't have enough hate in their heart to aim it at both of them. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't I actually don't understand how you could not think Bristow is so creepy. <laughs> yeah yeah it, he calls himself a collector like it makes <laughs> okay so that yeah the angle i guess the 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 argument that that one would make if were one were to be defending bristow is about how the aware often bump into each other and it's often with really catastrophic results like it's, it goes really badly so um so he's kind of doing a public service when he is uh is is kind of taking them under his wing and preventing them from just like you know spinning out which sure, I get that that's a read, but it just feels—I don't know—it feels very shallow. Like, well, we've sort of talked. I about, actually, so I was just saying, mm. we've sort of talked about that before. Like, there's that angle where it's sort of like he helps himself more than he helps it. It's like you know, he does this net yeah. improvement of he improves their lives a little bit, 
yeah. and improves his a bunch. Whereas if he was yeah. really a good Samaritan, as as is claimed, he would help yes. them. Well, yeah, he, he we're kind of he working would genuinely help them. Yeah, he can help them more than he is in a way that would give him less control. But he's making that decision yeah. to give them the less help for more control. Uh, is the yeah. assumption I've made. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I I actually the stuff with Ted as well just makes me. I don't know. Like, I'm kind of thinking of the fact that we in this story are set to clearly dislike Bristow. Like, the story is on Alexander's side and against Bristow. Fair enough. Bristow's clearly a dick. Um, but the fact that Ted, who seems like a kind of chill dude, is okay with him and kind of happily positioned with him, it can't just be that we're being shown one version of events and Bristow's actually cool and chill, right? <laughs> like, that can't be possible. No, I feel like we've seen enough of Bristow for me to feel pretty confident in saying he sucks. Um, my my thing with Ted, to jump ahead a little bit, like Ted sort of has mm-hmm. this thing where he's like, I can do the most good here with Bristow because I'm keeping these others in check. Yeah. And he's sort of, and, you know, the Kennedy is like, well, couldn't you, like, break the cycle? And he's like, ah, oh, but yeah. have you thought maybe I don't want to? And my response was like, ah, yeah. oh, but have you thought Bristow's bullshit makes you think you don't want to? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a it's an endless circle of nonsense, yeah. right? You can't make that argument. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, um, you could you could go down that rabbit hole for a very long time, I suppose. But I just couldn't help but think like these way these ways we've heard how claim works. This idea that Ted's yeah. just like, hmm, no, I think this is best for me. I'm like, yeah, but. Is Bristow's magic kind of helping you reach that conclusion, like, and stopping mm. you from thinking about that? I mean, yes, it is, <laughs> at least to an extent, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. So the the the, the trio are talking to Yadira, and in exchange for all the information that they get from Yadira, they give in information on who these people are, who his militia are. This is the main part where we explore um, all of them, but specifically the one we don't know who is ray kevin's uh, girlfriend but we don't get any solid answers she's possibly a hollow shell or possibly some kind of like anti-jealousy thing but none of that really fits i don't know yeah. what do you think yeah they kind of go through a bunch of uh like ideas it's actually really fun to see practitioners and like our kennedy's work with other practitioners to try and like logic puzzle this out um Mm. I thought that was like just a really fun section for us to explore. They don't come to any conclusive answers. Uh, I, I suppose my guess, based on where things ended up, is I thought maybe she's some sort of like well for like strife and and anger and all that shit. Kevin emanates. Um, yeah. and, and then my thought after that was like, if she's gathering all this shit within her, um, maybe if she gets enough, she turns into some sort of strife bomb um mm. like because i like you know either that shit's gonna just gather in her forever but like i'm kind of like well that energy has to go somewhere and i'm wondering if like yeah she just sort of explodes as some strife monster. there's gonna be something where it's like you know if this school conflict goes on for long enough uh they can whip out ray as like a, a thing to just really make it pop off mm, interesting i like that i like that she's just gonna be this presence that never gets quite explained until she literally explodes with strife <laughs> um also so the other thing that the 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 trio and the duo kind of talk about here is this idea that um silver counters the the fairy and that's why shelly's mm. uh, decked out in like all silver um mm. i found this really interesting because like i looked up the like symbolism of of like silver uh and what it traditionally means because it's obviously like the werewolf killing thing is usually what i would think of yes um yes. 
And I, I think what's interesting is like a lot of what I was reading about Silver, I was like, I would have actually thought this would be right up Fairy's alley. Um, mm. So yeah, like I'm curious if, if anybody out there is listening and knows a bit more about like Silver or whatever and has ideas as to why it counters Fairy, like let us know. Because I mean, there's a lot of stuff about it where like, it, like I was reading places constantly talking about how it relates to reflections. And, and so like, you know, silver is is the color of a reflection kind of and it's like it allows us to see ourselves as others see us which at first glance i was like um doesn't that sound great for glamour um mm. to self-reinforce it like it's like the exact thing avery was struggling with last chapter yeah um fair enough but there's like a sense of purity to silver as well like the metal so maybe it's like mm. maybe it does the opposite maybe it's like maybe silver reflections cut through glamour because it's like you see the actuality of things it's it's not see you as others see you it's like see your pure true form and for fairy that's like Mm. cutting it glamour i don't know yeah that cuts through all the bullshit that they kind of specifically surround themselves with yeah well and like silver's also seen as like the the balance color it's kind of like gray like it's it's between black and white and um i mean we know fairies are like very extra so they don't like to to deal in the middling ground and maybe that's where mm. the fact that it doesn't work on the winter fairy comes in because it's like they are balanced they have found their niche and they're stuck there they're not as like they're not desperate to stand out like other fairy mm. Mm. yeah yeah i don't know hit us up with more ideas in the comments if, if you have <laughs> yeah them. leave it in the comments if you have other thoughts um so yeah uh yadira is suspicious of how they uh know so much and puts it together that they might not be on bristow's side in all this <laughs> uh yeah they don't handle her maybe thinking this very well and uh kind of gets worse from here yeah it's it hurts me this bit because they are kind of making a legitimate friend and then it like due to bullshit that's completely out of their control it gets soured it's just grim yeah well yadira picks this she does what the declans do she picks this fucking alliance with bristow a guy she doesn't even really like um over them being like neutral Although, yeah, her hand gets mm. lost a little bit. Um, I, I do want to say, though, like, if you do come at this from Yadira's perspective, and, and let's put aside her supporting Bristow part of it, because that's obviously bullshit. Mm-hmm. But f- so aside from the Bristow stuff, from her angle, these three fucking mysterious practitioners have come up. You don't really know anything about them. You've just told them a whole bunch about yourself. And then it's like the second you keep asking them about themselves, they're like, oh, don't worry about it. Um. They've got like this completely foreign power source that you don't like. You don't understand. Like, yeah. It, it, like, outside of the Bristow stuff, from her perspective, it's like these three really fucking mysterious people come up. They're refusing to return the favor of her telling them stuff about herself <laughs> and about what she knows. Like, this is a world where everyone will use stuff like that against you. I, mm. uh, I actually can't really blame her for kind of getting really ticked off that they're refusing to engage with her on this. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I mean, they Verona tries to give them some answers, but she really just <laughs> doesn't, right? Like she gives the the most basic non-answers that she can. Um yeah, 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 I suppose we're about to cover that in more detail, but I do just want to say like again, this is example number 2 of where I think maybe a bit of strife because like Verona's tactic here is just very strifey. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, there's this good bit where Snowdrop tries to save it, where she says that she's the all-powerful sponsor, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Yadira is like, no. That's... Um, again, th- this is that other example we were talking about of where it feels like Snowdrop is using her her like speaking gimmick to her own advantage. Um, like I feel like she knew that that's how this was going to come out. Mm. Or yeah, or the Carmine or... Snowdrop has been foreshadowed. All powerful <sighs> Snowdrop, Carmine Snowdrop. That's I don't my think it'd be the chocolate. Carmine Snowdrop. What would it be? The Carmine Baby. <laughs> the car. I don't know. Yeah. Come on, Elliot. You got the this. Car- what is the, it? The dead. The dead Carmine. Or, or, uh, oh yeah. The Carmine liar. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. The Carmine T-shirt manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yes. Uh, to save face, Verona tries to give them some information where she can but doesn't do much, and then pretty quickly defines boundaries on what they will and won't accept. Mainly that uh, don't dig into us or else is what they say. <laughs> yeah. I, I do want to talk about, like, from the character perspective, there is this moment where Verona consciously decides, oh, Lucy looks exhausted, like, you know, and there's a bit earlier where she's like, oh, Lucy hasn't really had many friends and she seems to be interested in Yadira. So, like, mm-hmm. the whole thing here is she's kind of sort of trying to give Lucy that chance. She notices how exhausted mm-hmm. Lucy looks when this is going south. And so, she, so she's like, okay, I'm going to take the point on this. Like she's trying to be helping yeah. out. And I, I think <sighs> that's a really good sign that she's doing that. I mean, obviously Verona trying to step up and help Lucy has been a thing since arc two um, yes. with the whole uh, like Avery kissing Pam thing. Um, yes. But I like this because it's all in the context of she's trying to help Lucy make more friends. Cause I feel like the, her dad move would be, to get possessive and try and sabotage this and i feel like the her mom move would be to not step up so verona's talked so much about not wanting to follow either of their footsteps and i think she's doing exactly that here like she she's trying to step up and and help uh in a way that felt Mm. you know even if she doesn't do the best job she's trying Mm. Mm. yeah no it is reassuring that she's really giving it her all to try and uh you know give lucy a break i guess is the best way of putting it um doesn't yeah. go great but good work verona good attempt i mean yeah like to to jump ahead a little bit like yeah uh it turns out when verona takes point she's fucking scary uh i'm gonna blame strife on this one but uh i i don't know it felt kind of her dadish. <laughs> this is probably unfair but i tied it to her dad when she's just sort of like if you don't do what i say you know oh i'm gonna fuck mm. your shit up uh Mm. Oh uh, yeah, but like I do, it, it's fucking metal as, as hell when she ends this conversation. This was fun. It'd be cool to chat again. <laughs> like you, dear and Raquel are clearly fucking terrified, and she's just like, oh yeah, you know, this was fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, this worked well, and then Yadira <laughs> just doesn't respond. Um, let's talk about the trapped practitioner thing because I really liked this because yeah. that's what their first guess is to who they are. Is that they found, you know, they have to have some kind of patron and what would you guess? They guess a trapped practitioner. Somebody trapped in a realm who can kind of summon others to give them power and, and they're kind of working. And obviously we know this is incorrect. Yeah. Or is it? Or is it? Elliot? Oh, God. Because maybe Charles is trapped in Kennet and all the Kennet others are actually his summons. We know he can build others. That's his kind of thing as a practitioner. <laughs> maybe all the Kennet others are actually his summons that he's been puppet mastering and he's somehow been able to lie and is still a practitioner trapped in Kennet and Charles is behind it all and that's how it works well what he did is he created them all uh with like you know safe word type things that he could use to control them 
and then got forsworn yeah. on purpose. It's all part of his plan. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, what's funny is like I actually thought it was like if you, if you asked me to pick a trapped practitioner who was their patron, I actually think it's Matthew. Like he, that makes he, sense. He literally <laughs> but it's less insidious, so I don't like <laughs> it as much. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe like you could make it insidious if you want to. Um, but like you know, we saw him do practice in Five D once the Doom was out. He's literally like a practitioner who's trapped behind uh the Doom into being another. Uh, Mm. yeah i i mean like what this said to me like what i thought was interesting here is like these like yadira and raquel when they encounter people who have all this power their immediate thought is well it must be coming from another practitioner who summons fairies and goblins for you like it's it's not Mm. a consideration that it is just a conglomerate of others it has to be yeah uh, a practitioner that summons them like it's just that it's that worldview creeping yeah i mean there's no world in which they could think oh maybe they're just forming a coalition with others there has to be some other reason behind it yeah or there must be some practitioner at the top somewhere yes <laughs> of course classic practitioner um but yeah this interaction ends basically half a step short of exchanging threats and violence which is <laughs> i don't know obama um hopefully they can build it back up into a friendship that group did seem a bit cool and and you know good age-appropriate friends for them but you know it seems like they're settling on different sides so i'm sure we'll get a conflict between them sooner or later should we read into it at all that cass was missing the uh the clockwork orange girl Mm. because i mean obviously it's funny like she like lucy fucking roasted that look in 6.1 whereas we see like in this Mm. one verona's like oh cass isn't here it's a shame she's the one who had the cool look and it's like fucking of course verona um Mm. but you know is she is she the verona of the group like cass what does it mean that she wasn't here i I, i'm just having this thought now so um i don't have any point i want to make with it but yeah yeah i don't know well i don't have any (laughs) anything to read into that i don't think um food for thought i suppose <laughs> food for thought hey, speaking of food uh the trio head off and grab some food before avery goes to play some lacrosse yeah and so as they're in line for the food uh you know verona notes uh how things are going uh all of the belangers were present with chase leaning against the wall behind the table and serving the occasional drink but mostly just lounging while nicolette did stuff <laughs> got God, these Bellinger guys <laughs> fucking suck. Like, just yeah, yeah. Of course, Nicolette is the only one fucking doing anything, and of course, Verona is attuned to that. Like, this just reeks mm-hmm. of the relationship between her and her dad. Um, yeah, yeah. Poor Nicolette. Let's let's save her already. <laughs> I hope she is the one stabbing Alexander in the back. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. Could be. I mean, you know, could be with what we learned about her. I mean, she is explicitly. <laughs> stabbing alexander in the back i mean she oh, yeah. she told us that's right fair um yeah so anywho uh should we talk about the shirtless pick fiasco uh yeah yeah um i've i'm on team verona in this one i think this feels like a pretty fucky thing to do not in the least because it's definitely messing with jeremy and that just feels kind of cruel uh, yeah, I 100% agree. The only part of this I didn't enjoy was that, like, really the victim is Jeremy. And that's kind of Verona's yes. point, is, like, yeah. the other's kind of laughing at her, and she's like, no, I'm upset because this is going to get Jeremy's hopes up. And I was like, yeah, that is actually the bad yep. thing about this, is Jeremy's the yep. real victim. And he's um, so nice. He's so nice. Yeah, yeah, he's been nothing but fucking great. Yeah, actually, you know what? No, I'm, I'm switching back around. This is a good thing because it's going to force Verona to be in the relationship with him that she really should be. Um, <laughs> but no, this is, uh, this is like, 
the point where I actually started to build my theory that the strife was affecting them in this chapter because this felt mm. so unlike Avery to just yes, it's a strong move, isn't it? Yeah, like that. I was just sort of like, really, Avery did that. Um, mm. and, and I mean, you know, we saw in her head. There's like, like again, this is I think I can see how she sort of got to the point where she's doing this, but like I can't help but feel that strife was involved. And then when you think that. I, I noticed all those other things earlier in the chapter where I think it was maybe involved, but um, mm. yeah, like this just jumped out to me. as I was like, that's not what Avery would do, I don't think. Um, mm. Yeah. I, I have to admit, though, I did find it very funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I feel I bad I, for saying it, but yeah, me too. I, I, I suppose I haven't fully outgrown my own 13-year-old self who would do this to his friends. Um, mm. Yeah. I... I like especially there's that bit where avery's sort of like oh well you know maybe you will look at photos of him because you are interested and verona just kind of like she, i think she eventually just makes like a throat sound like she's just like because eh, 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 it's like she can't say <laughs> yeah what no. other reaction is there to that yeah <laughs> well she can't say no i mean that's what it says to me it's like actually yeah. deep down she thinks maybe she is interested and she can't say no she fucking hates that avery <laughs> calls that out i love this trio they're so great um now maybe it's because as we record this it's getting close to dinner time but this food (laughs) should we talk about this food it's described to be so delicious and appealing it's suspiciously delicious what do you make of that elliot um it's just brownie bullshit right like they're fairy-esque aren't they so it's just i don't know like Mm. i suppose you could read into the the food being drugged or so I, i i don't I just think it's just it because it's Verona. Like she eats fucking frozen dinners and shit at home, right? Like I think she's just not used True. to good food. She's not used to eating actual food. Um, like her her not eating has been something that's come up a lot in this story. I don't really know if we've talked about it much on here, but like it's very tied into her emotional issues surrounding her dad. The fact that she doesn't have much of an appetite, um, and it kind of gets specifically called out as something that's related to her dad in this chapter because there's a bit later where Lucy, when Lucy brings up her dad. And Verona's sort of like, oh, I don't feel hungry anymore. And Lucy's like, no, you, you've mm. got to eat. Um, mm. So like, to me... Her... We know they haven't eaten in a while as well, right? Like, yeah. What was the last time they ate? They missed their previous meal. Yeah, I think they might have had some breakfast. But like, mm. I, I don't know. To me, it was just like a real sign that like, the fact that she was just enjoying this food and it, like, it didn't really tie into her dad at all. In fact, her dad is barely present in this chapter relative to most Verona chapters. He's only in her thoughts for this little bit at the end um mm. and, and you know the food gets tied into him more there but like yeah i just i mostly read this miraculous foodness as her just like having been emotionally separated from the burden of her dad she's actually finding the joy in life again like you know this is this is the stuff you lose by becoming an other i i think mm. yeah yeah <sighs> um fair enough uh also just as a side note from this conversation lucy and verona have about verona's dad uh, they agree to get Lucy's mom to go over and check on Verona's dad, which I was like, "Yeah, like thank fuck." Oh, I hope he's, I hope he's not dead. I hope he's at least somewhat okay. Not, you know, I, you know, I'm not hoping too highly for him, but I hope <laughs> he's not dead. I just hope having another adult go into that house will fucking yeah. set off all the alarm bells that should have been ringing for fucking months. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, true. I'm just kind of hoping Maybe Lucy's will- mom. Yeah. is going to go over unannounced and just sort of rock up, see the situation and be like, oh my God, wait, you oh, need shit. help. Yeah, this is how bad it's got, yeah. <laughs> that, that might be optimistic, but that's what I'm hoping for anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, um, I want to talk about, I, I mean, I guess there's not much to talk about here, but just the fact that Avery is naturally so good at sports 
that the other people assume that she's cheating is so great. That makes me so happy for her. <laughs> yeah, it is a very good moment where they're like, oh, you can't use practice. And she's like, I'm not. And they're like, ah, oh, you guys can't help her. And they're like, we're not. Like, <laughs> She's just good. Yeah, she's just that good, dude. <laughs> get over it. Uh, yeah, it is nice to have Avery get a really reaffirming, reaffirming moment like that. Um, I especially love it as well because right before this, um, they make that decision to go and sit around the corner because their bench has more people and Avery's like, oh, honestly, I'm too tired to deal with conversations with those people again. And it's like the second mm-hmm. she sits down, she just runs off and plays sports. And I was like, the idea of being too tired to have a conversation, but also awake enough to do all these fucking other activities was very relatable. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? It's classic. Um, yeah. And, and I do like this moment for just giving that Lucy and Verona that time to have that private convo. I mean, I know... I'm trying to dissuade Avery's fears about being the third wheel, but we have had a number of these moments where when it's just the two of them, Lucy is able to get Verona to really think about this topic of her dad in a way no one else can. Um, mm, like she yeah, actually she kind of gets... needs to be in a place where Lucy can, you know, get get at that vulnerability a bit when she's not putting up so many walls. Yeah, and I just, I, I guess we just aren't quite at the point where Avery seems to be able to be a part of those conversations as easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. she's kind of shoehorned into the one at the end of arc five. Um, yeah, yeah, but like, uh, yeah, it is just good. But yeah, Lucy's just able to t- get Verona to voice these feelings. She doesn't even allow herself to think, um, which mm. is like really healthy. <laughs> the, the actually getting yeah. her to think them. It's not the not thing in the first place part. But mm. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so as they're watching Avery play, uh, Ted walks over to deliver a message from Bristow, which is no regrets yet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so my understanding, I, like, because I, I think we sort of talked about this uh, earlier, like how this might work on some of our episodes, but my impression at the moment is it's kind of like the longer Verona lets this go on, because there's no deadline on her side, it's like there's like interest on how much this is going to hurt her. Yep. And like Bristow kind of sending messages like this kind of is extra interest. Builds up that interest, yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of like, like now Verona has this interesting gamble where hopefully at any point she can turn it around and make him regret having made an enemy of her um you know like yadira and raquel might um but the longer like the longer she's unable to do that the the more bris the more power bristow has over her um yeah so that's it's that's a like a really fun dynamic to carry into this this you know civil war that's brewing. Mm. is it like yeah. verona verona will sort of get more and more desperate to really stick it to bristow because she needs to yes yeah um yeah it's a great way of adding a bit more personal stakes to this conflict that they're really trying their best to stay out of yeah yeah exactly um let's touch on ted a bit because we were kind of talking a while ago when we first saw his dossier about like why is he aligned with bristow but from this interaction he seems to be a pretty genuinely good person right he seems to be a he seems to be a nice nice enough person uh I'm sh- I'm sure there's a way to convince him to join Team Kennet. Like his argument is basically, I'm doing the most good with Bristow, and I'm sure they can. Maybe the the additional dimension to get him to consider is, have you considered doing good not just for humans but also for sentient others? Like maybe that'll help convince him. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I mean, you're right. I think we're just meant to think this guy's pretty great, if for no other reason than he sort of gets compared to Clem, and he's like, oh, I like Clem. She's my friend. And I was like, okay, well. Most people who claim to be friends with Clem are actually pretty great. There's one exception. Thing, but... <laughs> no, no exceptions, I don't think. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, like just sort of drawing a line between him and Clem was immediately for me like, yeah, Ted's awesome. Um, yeah. And yeah, he sits in that same bucket as Clem where I'm just like, oh, please stop going back to Bristow. Like, so maybe this is our second chance to turn someone good away from him. To turn someone away from him. Yeah. I, I like him. I like Ted. He seems cool. I, I'd be keen to see him on side. Yeah, I want to see him do some of his crazy time loop shit. Like, I want to see him... I, I guess I want to see him go toe-to-toe with whatever the fuck Durashay's got up her sleeve, because that seems like what would be interesting. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see. That feels like it's a fight that is too uh, perfect to not have yeah, if it, if it one, comes though. to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so after Ted leaves, Lucy kind of expresses that she hated how powerless she felt during that interaction. So time to get a power boost. And how do you get a power boost in this world? You do one of the big three rituals and, uh, they, they seem to be leaning towards the implement ritual. So, uh, yeah, it's I implement mean, time. I can't fucking wait. I mean, we, we sort of already got excited for what the familiar book might mean for where the arc was going. Yes. But like, this yes. is a much more like, okay, I'm heading into 6.4 with expectations of a discussion that I'm very excited to hear. Yes. We, you know, we're about to get the theoretical on how the implements work and I'm assuming that will get applied in 6.4 yeah. practically to these three specifically. Yeah. I mean, I guess, do you have, do you have theories or inklings as to like, I, I guess I'm skipping ahead, but based on the implementum text that we read, what what are your thoughts for the the Kenneteers? Gut, my gut reactions were: we had the scissors that Verona had kind of prepped and had discussed maybe using for something, so that's where I'd go for her. Avery, it has to be a hockey stick for Avery, right? It's this kind of like <laughs> staff esque thing that has such perfect connotations for her. Um, and I know Lucy awakened using a knife, so I'm kind of leaning there, like that specific knife to be reused for her implement but i'm not actually as as sure for lucy yeah i mean verona's scissors were also her awakening item i'm pretty sure i don't know if it's right they were i I think they were um yeah what was what was avery's her photo it's not really an implement right (laughs) yeah i don't think that would be an implement because that is the thing i do i do assume that it's actually somewhat common for certain practitioning families to have the child use the same thing as their implement and their awakening ritual thing. Yes. Because that, that yes. personal item is very much you defining yourself and it kind of makes sense to then, unless you change, like use the same thing. Um, yeah. I do worry about them making any decision about these three rituals at the age of 13, just because I think about who I was, I mean, fuck, even five years ago. Um, I, like, I just worry for anyone making a lifelong commitment to alter your self-diagram at the age of 13. Uh, mm. But it does seem like the least invasive. Like, it's better than better an implement than a familiar or a domain. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm not sure how a familiar or a domain would work for any of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we, uh, to, to, to go sort of back to the question I asked you about, like, what would they each take? I do like a hockey stick for Avery. Um, mm. I feel like there's a lot of cool symbolism there. For, for Lucy, her knife doesn't feel right. I agree. Like, it just... I I almost, for Lucy, wanted one of those ones, you know, to, to jump ahead again. There's stuff about, like... You know, there was that um ascetic ritual where you don't take an implement, but you kind of remove your connection to earthly possessions and strengthen yourself. Yes, yes. I don't know if Lucy would go so far as to, like, remove all her earthly possessions, but I do see her maybe rather than wanting to possess something uh, in, in this way, like getting one of the implements that empowers yourself. I think there was one like a talisman. It wasn't talismans, but like 
or not emblems or banners, but I think there was one that was like a focus on just sort of reinforcing yourself. And I feel like that that's the mm. direction I could see Lucy going. Mm. Yeah, maybe. The other direction that she could go down is more weaponry, like a sword even, to go to the extreme of like Fae Duelist vibes. Yeah. yeah but I like, don't really see that happening, not without a bit more development on that front. Well, because I, I see the sword, like they, they, they did talk about in the text, the sword is for defense as much as offense. But like, I don't, I don't see Lucy being that sort of pointed offense in the same way. She's much more like, like she's more like an airbender where she swings your ship back on you, right? Like she's not going to come out and attack you unless you're a piece of shit first. Mm. So it's almost like something that would reflect or parry, like focus. I, I would, would, yeah. Almost, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um. Should we get into it? We're starting yeah. to talk about these influence. Let's just dive into the text, shall we? Six point three: the extra material implementum text. Um. So let's just start by saying, you know, we got the familiar one last week. And the question was, okay, what's why is this here? Now, the fact that this one's come up makes me think we're not actually going to get a familiar. <laughs> we just kind of get a background <laughs> info. We might get a domain text next week, but again, I don't think we're going to get a domain. It does seem like we're going down the the the, the road of implements, um, and so we just kind of have this text in the middle to you know give us uh, give us a bit more deets on it. Yeah, I I don't expect the Kenneteers to get a simple implement or even a straight one like if i if i view um uh snowdrop as a kind of f- like familiar transform thing and i think this was a prediction we got yeah. from someone ages ago on pale predictor uh was this idea that they wouldn't get a familiar domain in, in an implement but they'd get like alternative versions and i really like that like if if snowdrop is our like more natural familiar is one of them going to do something similar to the implement thing but less like practitioner uh like you know standard Mm. like i i actually don't know if i expect to see one of them choose an implement in the next few chapters i actually think it's more likely that they end up doing something related each picking one yeah i i like it conceptually but the fact is an implement is the one that just makes the most like is is easiest to fit into your life and is the smallest kind of commitment to make right oh it is which makes me feel like it's just not yeah, of course, but I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Like, if I had to pick one to do in the next week, I think I would start with it because, like, if you tie familiars to marriage and if you tie domains to buying a house, those are, like, so much more important yeah. than, like, you know, being forced to carry a wand I don't really like around for 20 years, you know? <laughs> yeah, being forced to always have something in your pockets. Like, okay, yeah. sure. I have my fucking wallet and keys in there every day anyway, so. And, like, it handicaps you, but it doesn't, like, tie you down. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting as well because, as you sort of brought up, this implement text fits so cleanly into like where we see it being in the story, right? Like it's, it's like you know, oh well, they just started talking yes. about do we want implements, whereas the familiar one didn't fit as neatly. So it's like yes. I had my theory that it was related to Durache, and, and Durache is confirmed to have liked Lucy, uh, and this thing. So it could still be that, or you know, was it first because we already have our familiar equivalent in snowdrop like i don't know yeah yeah um i I guess we'll see if it comes into it but um yeah Uh, let's get into it so first of all the textbook goes over what is an implement why might you want one yeah and i really like how this all starts and and it kind of is going through the entire book or the entire material this uh, comparison to diagrams that that wildbow slash the in-universe author has come up with and i really really liked this to 
as a way to get this concept through to us because we're obviously very familiar with diagrams in this story like wabo has had other extra materials that have made it made us very familiar with how diagrams work and the story has covered mm. it too so it was like such a simple analogy to make us understand like this way it transforms you and connects it to like i guess not to get into backed to packed uh areas but like i thought this was a much better way of explaining it than than the ways it was initially introduced in Pact. Mm. yeah i i thought it made a lot of sense too um well we will get into back to packed vibes yeah. at okay. the end of the show so stay tuned for that um so yeah the next section of the textbook goes into detail on 22 examples i didn't actually count them i'm just assuming there were 22 because that's what it said 22 examples of influence and their strengths and weaknesses obviously 22 very important magical number because it's the length tv show seasons used to be um <laughs> Sure. Yeah. yeah. So no, we I, have this is the backdoor pilot for Wabo's <laughs> Implement TV show, where each episode explores a different implement. Look, I mean, it wouldn't be my first choice for an otherverse TV show, but I'll <laughs> fucking take what I could get. You know. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, this this is obviously a very fun section. I really like the homework questions Wabo put in for us uh, in the middle. I had a lot of fun answering most of them in my live read. I eventually had to stop because the live read was taking fucking hours, and I had other stuff I needed mm-hmm. to do um yeah but it was yeah it, like i yeah the questions really elevated it to me like i had so much fun doing it. yeah no it's great isn't it and it really like gets you thinking about the kind of thing that the textbook clearly wants you to think about in universe um yeah yeah it's good stuff uh which so uh, here's a question for you elliot which of these implements do you think is the coolest i've kind of expressed the idea of uh, how I would love to see more music play into the kind of Pactverse world. Um, and so I'm delighted to see the trumpet on the list. I think that's great. I think a beautiful brass trumpet would make a great implement. But yeah, I'd, I'm I'm interested to hear which of these you, you liked the most. Didn't you? You play trumpet, don't you? Yes, I have a trumpet uh, just right within eyesight right now. I'm not yeah. very good at it, but I do own one. <laughs> I'll just say, well, because like my musical instrument, I don't play it anymore, but I used to play the double bass, which does not have the same implement. Uh, affinity i don't think it's not it's very hefty so um <laughs> you know when we get to the different stats of the implements and what that means uh you know it'll definitely tie you down a bit more yeah i'd say so it was such a such a bitch to carry around um anyway yeah uh yeah i like i, I agree I, as to what might be the coolest one i i quite liked the appeal of um things like the the rings or even like the talismans where you don't necessarily affect your the shape of your diagram like you know something like a sword or a wand is sort of adding this pointed angle to your diagram and and making very Mm -hmm. direct in how you practice whereas Mm -hmm. like i think the things like the talisman it kind of rather than Mm -hmm. change the shape of your diagram it changes the flavor um and i i kind of like that idea more like it's kind of weird because i i would often say i don't want to lock myself in and i see this as less locking myself in to add a kind of theme to my work that i can work off of yeah. so i giving, giving myself some sort of talisman that makes me water themed or something is is what i could totally see myself going interesting okay cool and i think it's just Fair such enough. a cool cool different way to work like like you know as i was sort of talking about this diagram metaphor like i think this is why it was so powerful because it wasn't just shapes like i i think the idea that the wand and the sword point your practice is very easy to to conceptualize but i think getting to these murkier ones of like you know oh it affects the flavor of your practice is where the diagram mm. metaphor really becomes powerful it's just like oh so it's just like default water runes okay easy mm. 
um <laughs> like it, I, I think concept yeah it helps so much and and as you said like you've got the the homework questions to sort of like train yourself to think about this in the way wild bow wants you to yeah yeah definitely um sorry um, I, I had a bit in the notes here about what might your implement be but i i've actually seen that you've got that covered later you can skip that for now yes we will get to that when we get to back to packed so stay tuned after the outro for that um so next we go into some of the different effects that implements may have as a result of their kind of composition of attributes, I guess. Yeah, like I think what what really elevates this concept to me is like the bi-directionality of it. And and like, you know, we talked about that with Familiars. Like it's it's something that really elevates the world of the other verse to me is is the way the implement shapes you in the same way you are shaped by it. Um mm. oh, sorry, you, know, you shape it in the same way it shapes you. Like there's um there's this comparison to oh if you you know take a book as as your thing you will like get better at reading as you would as somebody who uses a book all the time and i'm just like oh god mm. like it's such a great metaphor and like i don't feel like most stories would would think about it to that degree of like you know having yeah having it like it would just sort of be oh you get better at reading or it would be you've used a book a lot now you are better at reading whereas in in this other verse it's sort of like yeah it's kind of both you will use it a lot so you'll get better but also you'll just get like kind yeah. of a boost yeah, it's cool, isn't it? Um, we got we kind of go into the like stats of implements as well, and I just think that's such another cool framing to help understand. I mean, implements, but also just in general, the way that like the attributes of an object relate to how it's perceived in this world, right? Um, we've got durability and weight and and all that stuff, uh, the material it's made out of, all that good stuff. Um, I think it's just it's just great to see like hey, this is what these kinds of things will say and do as a result. Yeah, I yeah, I, like I liked it as a sort of framework for considering how to consider and implement, I guess. Um, mm. It did kind of feel like Dark Souls is haunting me everywhere I go. Um, <laughs> stats. Uh, but they're less numerical, so I like them more. Um, I, I think like the, the other the other cool thing as well is like uh, like in amongst the stats is is like there's so much of a focus on what these things say about you as much as it is like 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 what others will think based on your implement um like it's not Mm. just about you and the implement but like part of the power comes from other other people which of course you know is Mm. is so much of what pale has been talking about like how we cooperate and stuff so of course you know Mm. it's not just an isolated thing like i remember I, i don't know if you would remember this but way back in the day there was a discussion on our discord about like crocs as an implement Mm. um and like there yeah there was a lot of discussion about like you know whether um like crocs would suffer just because everybody else would judge you for them like 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 an element you need to consider for these implements is not just <laughs> yourself but like how everyone else will think of you and that was like the big weakness of the crocs as an input was everyone else is gonna yes. fucking despise you yeah <sighs> i love the idea of crocs as an <laughs> it's so ridiculous <laughs> that, but it yeah was a, it was like a very fun discussion yeah yeah um (laughs) so yes uh in chapter three then we learn about uh, other objects which is this kind of weird ability for implements that are left to their own devices to take on very very basic identities and personifications yeah and this is where a lot of that bias we talked about in the familiar text just kind of manages to sneak its way in here a bit where it's sort of like the book becomes suddenly very possessive and sort of was saying like oh you know don't they're going to be shit and don't like, don't really have that. Or if you're going to have it, you know, keep a tight eye on it. Like it's, yeah, you know, you own this object and you need to make sure you maintain ownership of it was sort of the vibe that I got in this part of this, 
part of the chapter. Like I was like, oh, okay, here's that possessiveness uh, back to the fore. <laughs> yes. Um, but God, this is just crazy, right? Like the idea that, I mean, they gave the example of the alchemist with the homunculi uh, and their cauldron kind of turning into its own bit of a homunculus. But yeah, your implement can just kind of grow itself a, a minor consciousness. That's crazy. <laughs> and I really want to see it in the story. Yeah. I mean, like, because you're right. It, it, on one level, it makes a lot of sense. Like when I first saw this, I was like, well, yeah, of course, because you've got like, you know, we've seen so many of these others, like ritual incarnates or dogs of war come from like be, be spawned by humanity. So the idea that if you have an object that you're just constantly pumping yourself and all this extra power into, like, of course, that might manifest as an other, like, duh. But at the same time, it was like, I never would have thought of that. And I kind of want to see it. Like, I want to see, you know, Verona use a sketchbook as an implement and then a sketchbook starts like fucking writing messages back to her or something. Mm. It reminds me yeah. of, um, not to, like, just to go all the way back to pilot season. Mm-hmm. Um, that example was very reminiscent of uh, the Dresden Files, and and he had that that skull companion guy, Bob. Bob, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it reminded me of Bob from the example we got in this chapter. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So I wouldn't. I yep, want to see so. Verona get like a snarky fucking sketchbook that you know writes you know snarky messages at her. I do think Bob was perhaps a bit more sentient than it seems. These uh, these what are they called object others other objects would be um, yeah but, yeah true but yeah um cool so uh in our fourth and final chapter of this uh book of this textbook or at least the final chapter we see we learn about some variations on implements and other rituals that have kind of similarities to the implement ritual yeah like i already brought up the ascetic ritual which is kind of you know the it feels very buddhist to me this mm. like mm ritual that's like instead of instead of claiming something you shared responsibility for all material things um i think there's like talks of like immaterial stuff in this one as well um yeah just some cool like i I love exploring the variations of this to really enrich the concepts and yeah yeah definitely um i love that i i don't know if we're gonna get any of these variations in universe but it's nice to just get a bit of of them being built out you know yeah, I agree. And it helps us think about these things on a deeper level, even if we don't see them in the story, which is why I think they're useful. Um, yeah. So I don't know why um, this, I, I, don't, I don't know why this note is here and wasn't earlier, but like, I do just have a sentence in our notes here that is just, um, the mask as an implement seems like a good fit for Verona. Don't remember why um, I put this here, because it should have been earlier when we were talking about that, but just going <laughs> to shout it out now. Sure, why um, not? <laughs> yeah, you can, you can, whatever, man. It's a loose <laughs> format. I I did I did just want to quickly read it because like um reading it I was like oh yeah because like the, the focus on the mask was like changing yourself and that that felt very brilliant. yes yeah hundred percent and look if it's just an implement that helps her change herself temporarily yeah great love all it for it all for it um here's something that I hope we get to see in the future there's this quote mentioning rhythm practitioners again what what is that <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I suppose it fits into what you were saying about wanting more music, because that's like, you know, that's kind of what music is, right? Like the idea of, like, I think humans naturally uh, sort of, you know, music is in every culture, because I think we like the idea of like rhythm and harmony. Uh, So like, Mm. I think that is a fundamental human thing. So I imagine there is a lot of power to rhythm in this world. Yeah, definitely. I'm just Um, just wondering. Another reason I'd love to see more music in Pact (laughs) or Pale. I'm just wondering, like, how that might work in practice. Like, are these people doing fucking, like, uh, 
like you know firebending moves to a, a rhythm or is it it's, like a, pra- a, a practitioner who has like Elliot. a drum and, and they're like you know they no, like no. cast their spells with a drum it's very um like scat based it's based around scatting doing like <laughs> and then you know that's a magic spell it like blows somebody up you know etc sure. it's rhythmic scatting slash chanting that lets you conduct your magic yeah i mean <laughs> Any, any of these ideas would be amazing. Yes. Uh, yes. So, yeah, this this final bit of, like, alternate variations is just full of Buckwild ideas, which is great. Great way to round it out, just being like, hey, here's some weird other shit from, from Wildbo's brain that I don't think I'm going to fit in anywhere else. Why not just put it in here? <laughs> yeah, like, I think I said this uh, in last week's one as well, but, like, fuck, I'm excited for what this story is going to do for Pack Dice. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ah. <sighs> Yep. It's a lot of good material in here. Um, and that's the end of the bonus material. Yeah. Uh, so should we jump into our discussion question that we've been running for uh, the last week? Mm-hmm. Um, that discussion question is, how would you bind the Carmine Beast? And we got people who talked about positive binding and negative binding. We didn't get any mentions of a hallowed binding, which I think is fair enough. Those are probably the most complicated and hard to understand. Well, I, I think hallowed bindings... Well, conceptually, at least to me, overlap a lot with positive bindings in that you're creating a home, um, which will kind of overlap with positive bindings in a way. Also, the Carmine Beast has her own domain, so it'd kind of be like, I build that, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> go to the Carmine Beast's domain, write down a list of what it has, build your own, boom, hallowed binding for the Carmine Beast. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, can it is kind of a hallowed binding for the Carmine Beast? Yeah. Well, it was a hallow binding for something. I don't know if it was the Carmine Beast. Well, true. Who knows? Um, uh, so we got a few answers to the discussion question. I'm going to pull out one by a user called Olafak, who talked about a positive and a negative binding. Uh, the positive binding is blood and meat related from three sources, a murderer, somebody mauled by a wild animal, ideally a wolf, and something representing pure savagery, and they went with the blood and meat that might be the remains of a goblin attack on a human, which I think is a great one to pick. <laughs> um, obviously with the idea of representing kind of predatory nature. Uh, and then for the negative binding, they the thought that they went around is kind of telling this story of man's dominion over the natural world, I guess, and over predators specifically. So first we get defences like bear traps, Next, we get something like the fur or pelts of wolves, which are like, you know, you've beat the predator and now you're turning yeah. it to your own needs. And then finally, uh, wolf meat cooked. So this is the final step of like, you haven't just killed this wolf and skinned it, you've actually used every part of it to uplift your own life, um, which I liked. I-, I wonder which of these would be more successful. I also, I wonder whether this negative binding is more playing into the idea of predatory things with like yeah. the vibe of maybe humans are just the ultimate species now and it's just still one species dominating another like maybe the opposite of this isn't dominating of another species but just kind of more general uh, like technology or modern trappings in in the abstract so maybe something like a circle of clay bricks right to represent hey we've built shelters for ourselves and complex processes that are like the antithesis of nature in the same way that goblins can't cross like running water pipes you know yeah, I think the other angle is the Carmine Beast was very violence focused. Like that hunter prey dynamic yes. is core to them. So, um, like you know, get a bunch of doves and and build a circle of doves as a peace yeah thing. 
a peaceful yeah or, interesting yeah or like a circle of white flags or something mm. yeah i um, can see it uh, like olive branches as well is obviously has yes. a lot of symbolism there yeah actually that um, that's that's a bit more practical a circle of olive a bit branches. more practical than a circle of doves <laughs> <laughs> what are they fucking frozen like arrested development <laughs> uh, yeah but no yeah interesting um, yeah uh so we also got another answer i wanted to call out from uh propaganda pagoda um mm-hmm. who very similarly listed a positive and a negative one um for their positive one they had this idea of like building a nature reserve um which you know to sort of very focused on this idea of the carmine beast as something that represents like pre-human or extra human civilization um uh, they had mm-hmm. a really interesting focus on trying to artificially generate some sort of high oxygen level because the carmine beast is a big megafauna thing um which i just thought was like a nice little detail um they even quoted this this one fact which i have heard before but i'd forgotten and i love it which is like before um like europeans invaded america uh a squirrel could have traveled from california to maine which for those of you who don't know that's like the two opposite ends of continent um, yes a, a squirrel could have gone from like basically crossed the entire u.s without touching the ground just because like forest continuously um which is just like such a yeah like like cool fact and like so that this was sort of propaganda pagodas like driving force as they were like looking through this is trying to create that sort of nature uh as it used mm. to exist mm. yeah i like that make a spot that is i mean it almost seems like a hallowed binding to be honest as well and i guess they're not that different it's um mm. get get the world back to where where it was when when these creature was its most happy i guess yeah um and, and then propaganda pagoda also had a negative binding they similarly went for this idea of creating three rings um which we saw a bunch uh and their three rings were like one to symbolize like modernity like so technology human human dominance i suppose um then the second one was like diseased and captive animals which was very focused on this like natural aspect of the carmine beast um of like you know showing man's domination over animals i guess um and mm. killing uh and then the third one like fire to kind of burn down the forest so mm. I, I suppose yes. my criticism of, of, of this one w- would be similar to what we said about Olifax one where like I it's all very focused on the natural aspects of the Carmine Beast whereas I think you want to tackle I like the idea of building three rings each of which attack a different aspect of the Carmine Beast so like like one of these take take one of these very nature driven ones and then take one that's against violence and then take a third one that's against um like yeah i don't know just like the the take the human angle for the third one Mm, yeah i like the fire one both because it kind of is this must tap into this primal thing of like beasts dislike fire but also fire as an antithesis of like forest and nature i think it works on a few levels i i do worry i i kind of associate fire with violence i maybe Mm, maybe true. I'm wrong with that I, true. I worry it might lean into that aspect too well maybe you have to get things that are fire but in a non-violent way so like a an oven lighter or something yeah yeah, yeah yeah um <laughs> anyway yeah some great discussion question answers so thank you to those that left those in our uh discussion threads if you want to leave a thought in our discussion threads anything from what we discussed this week or the chapters or just the show in general you can find them linked in the show notes down below uh yep and obviously, uh, you probably already know this, but you can find this uh, podcast on all the big podcasting platforms. Uh, and, you know, a lot of those let you leave reviews. And we don't say this very often, but uh, swing us a review if you can, because those help other yeah. people find Power Reflections, which more importantly, helps them find Pale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a roundabout way to get them there, but hey, it works. Why not? Yeah, whatever works. I mean, we're all part of, 
you know, Wildbo's pyramid scheme to get everyone reading his stories. And, you know, we take what we can get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any route counts. Um, yeah, uh, while you're while you're going to different services, why not go to twitter.com and search uh, MediaMT Podcast, which is our Twitter account. And from there, you can well, follow no, us. Actually, you and... can search. You can just search Pale Reflections now and we come up. True, true. Fair. It's very exciting. But yeah, that'll let you get all, all the updates from uh, this show. Uh, yep. Uh, our website is doformedia.com. Uh, there you can find all the other shows on our network. Uh, there's a bunch of new bonus shows coming out. So f- for those who don't know, it's now like every week, basically, uh, there's some you know special bonus thing for the patrons at $10 or above. So uh, the latest Freeman Bros just came out where uh, Matt and Dan discuss like intellectual things I don't understand, but I enjoy listening to. Um, I think next week we have uh, other levels of the tower, which is Scott and Matt talking about like, Stephen King shit that isn't uh the Dark Tower sh- series. So yeah, like mm. check it out. Yeah. Um yeah, lots of cool content on there. While you're on patreon.com, go to patreon.com forward slash wildbow and you can support Wildbow. Uh you can give him the coin, the mildly etched coin that symbolizes a few cool things. Uh maybe that you're a gambler, maybe that you're a con artist. Don't worry about <laughs> being those things though. Just give that coin straight to Wildbow in exchange for writing some more cool stories. Yeah, I, there was a thing. You can give away your implement, even if it's a coin, uh, and, and you got to do yeah. some shit, but you can give it away. And it'll so. come back to you, and then you can give it to him again. <laughs> Please don't give Wildbo checks that will bounce. <laughs> <laughs> it's the practitioner version of a bouncing check. Um, <laughs> and is that the end of our show? No, it's not. Not. Because we're going back to Pact. So uh, everyone who hasn't read Pact, you, you have permission to leave now. Yeah, uh, you just, just mark as listened. Um, yep. <laughs> and I think we've given everyone enough time to panic hit the pause button, so let's get into it. Yep, good. So what do we want to talk about here, Elliot? Uh, I quickly, before we get into the real meat of the implement stuff, I think we're going to spend the most of our time on, uh, I want to quickly touch on uh, Alpi uh, being a hag, because mm-hmm. uh, we, we've met one other hag before, and she wasn't quite as cool as Alpi. Um, is, is it Crone Mara? Is that who you mean? Yeah. Was she a hag? She was I listed she as a was. hag a, a couple of times, yeah. Right. Like like early on, she was listed as a hag. Uh, yeah. Sure. yeah. Maybe that was a misclassification uh, early on because I think there was confusion about what exactly she was, but um, I, I, there was definitely points where she was listed as a hag. Maybe Alpi being a night hag is different enough to be distinct. I don't know. Oh, I mean, like, they're definitely distinct. <laughs> like, um. I just thought well, Alpi clearly is different to Crone Mara, but yeah. It's just crazy to me that they're of the same species, yes. I uh, guess. Ma- Mara is a blood hag. Um, ah, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool, so, cool factoid. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it's just funny because they are so different. Like, it, it's just that, you know, that's a very important distinction to me. Like, we, we talked about how Alpi was defined by her knight stuff rather than her uh, hag stuff. And I guess if we think about the other hag we know being Crone Mara, Maybe that book actually had it right, and we should be focusing on that aspect because putting the two of them side by side, uh, like the hag thing, really. Aside from the whole obsession with routine, they've got nothing in common. Mm, mm, yeah, yeah, they are quite different. <laughs> um, should we get into the implement stuff? Yeah. So first off, no definite discussion of declarative, authoritative, and sociocultural in the implement text, which I think is interesting mm. because... Uh, that was like the linchpin of, of defining implements in Pact. And it seems like this system has gone a bit more, I mean, it's still the same, right? Like that 
still kind of the same, but just without those specific framing devices. Yeah, I, I, I talked about this a bunch in my live read, and like honestly, to, to my mind, this is a huge improvement. I think yeah, I, I think the declarative, authoritative, and sociocultural framework confused me more than it actually helped. Um, mm. I, I would often go and look them up whenever I was having a discussion on implements and people were using that framework because I'd forget which was mm. which. And I, I don't know that they, like I essentially would boil them down in my head to basically considering how do you, wait, I, I would just view it as how do you use it? What does it say about you that you have one? And like, um, what, what does it sort of mean? And I, I yes. thought the way it was introduced in this chapter today um, was just a much more natural way to get you to think along those lines. Like the diagram metaphor to my mind is a thousand times better than these three things. Um, mm. So I, yeah, as a different way of viewing implements, I, I found this way a lot more natural uh, and to follow. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I, I do okay. like it as well. I'm, I'm okay with seeing those, those three disappear. I found them a little confusing. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough uh here's a question for you elliot i went and pulled this out from our deep impact notes and at the time you didn't know what a standard was yep. do you do you know what a standard is now is there growth what's a standard elliot tell us i actually did know what a standard was before today because uh everyone fucking told me when i said that in our episode uh in 2.7 i got like 10 messages telling me what a what a standard is um it's basically kind of kind of like an emblem type deal but it's it's like not about like a crew of people it's like an honestly i've kind of forgotten but like it was outlined in this <laughs> text all right so there is growth. Go good stuff good stuff um now uh i guess the question we should answer what is our implement right we talked about this back in deep impact you gave the answer of metronome do you remember what my answer was i didn't remember until i went and looked it up yeah, no, I, I think because I had to go and look this up one time for all packed up. It was um, it wasn't a telescope, but I kept thinking it was a telescope. No, it was a spyglass, like a like a spyglass, um, like Correct. a fucking Sherlock Holmes type thing, right? Yes, yeah. Which I think yeah. was a good answer, but I yeah. I don't know if I would stand by it. I actually think looking at the this list, I probably would just pick tome. I kind of like the vibe of having a tome as an implement. I think it fits the type of practitioner I would want to be. I, I, I mean, I'll admit I thought that at, at first. I mean, obviously, since we're here, we have an affinity for, for books or reading. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I, I feel like the tome must have such an impact on how you practice um, mm. in a way that I don't know would gel with, I, I feel like I would be a very reactive and improvisational um, practitioner in a lot of ways. Uh, it's like, I don't know if a book would work for me. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. I just kind of, the vibe of it to me is like, I think I'd be an information-based practitioner. And so having a spell book would kind of lend itself nicely to that, I guess. Yeah, I like being, because I, I think you've talked before about wanting to be the fucking, like the Martin from, from Magnus Archives type, right? Like, Yeah, or um, the what's-his-face who was Andy and Eva's friend in Pact, who was like yeah. the central information hub for the witch hunters yeah exactly i mean i i definitely see the appeal in that as a kind of relatively safe uh practice role um i definitely yeah. think it suits those sorts of jobs um mm. yeah I, I actually i'm actually sticking with metronome i don't I, I i still like the original thoughts i had behind that which is like helping helping to let me define the rhythm 
of the fight mm. like like that that is sort of my interpretation of how it would work in practice is like it would give me a greater ability to sort of find my own rhythm and control the rhythm everyone hears because i you know if if you try practicing a musical instrument in the same room as someone else who's using a metronome like that shit fucks you right up so um Mm. I, I think that idea of using a metronome to uh, have, have your say on the nature and the rhythm of the fight really appeals to me. Mm. I mean, maybe you would be a rhythm practitioner. Yeah, if we, if we find out what those are. I, I, like, the idea, <laughs> do you remember, like, there were the people in Pact, in Arc 13, I think it was, and they did, they would, like, chant and do poses. They were doing, like, firebending. Like, I sort of referenced them earlier in the episode. Mm. Do you remember those guys? That's what I that's what I think of when I hear original. I I don't. I think they were Oni related, actually. Oh yeah, sorry, I do. But yeah, they they kept like they kept saying words. They'd be like, you know, ha ha, and they were doing like, yeah. poses and shit, and and then they shot fireballs yeah. at Blake or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's what maybe. I think. that's what I think of when I hear rhythm practitioner is like yeah, like those five and mm, fair enough. Um. What would you so yeah you're still with your your metronome uh, I think so. anything else we want to talk about for for back to pact Uh no like again this is just this implement text is one of those things I can't wait to see pale readers go into pact after this story and yeah like really engage wait wait it would be so interesting to see their responses to that two dot x chapter where they learn about implements in a bit more of an abridged way than we just have yeah. Like, yeah. what will their reverse take be on the yeah, authoritative, declarative, and sociocultural definition? What an interesting question. I do wonder. Um, all right, cool. Well, we already did the outro, so I guess that's the end of the episode. Yeah.